gonna do no matter how many times you tell somebody. If we're gonna do a show, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do a show. All right, All this right. sounds like a good idea. He's got the board of sound. You know, I watch other podcasts. You watch them? No. Okay, I listen to some other podcasts. Uh-huh. I've been on other podcasts. Oh, look at hey, name dropper. No, 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 no. The reason why I bring that up. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am uh, Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. Thank you for listening. We're also live on Periscope, but if you're just listening to this, that won't matter because that would have happened. I, I will have deleted it long. Since yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I think, I think you know, eventually some of these because we're on Facebook now. A little bit of Facebook, a little bit of YouTube. Yeah, thanks to everybody who liked the uh, who liked the page. Yeah, and we're doing really good on that. Um, Actually, whoever. Whoever like put up with it was like, yeah, 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 okay, all right, you know, because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, what is this? <laughs> they don't want to like anything. What do you mean? I don't know. I was like, I'm one of those. Everybody asked me to like everything. I'm like, no, 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 no. So, so I, uh, I don't pay attention to any invites. So I was actually pleasantly surprised how many people on our first go around actually jumped on the. Yeah. You know, to, I mean, I'm being honest. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm I, I somebody, appreciate it too, for sure. Somebody did say, I, I'll like yours if you like mine. I'm always, I, I, I don't understand that one. It's like I don't, I don't want you to feel like you have to like it. That's fine. Don't, I definitely got an like influx it. of like, hey, like my page after I sent yeah. that out. You know, I so. mean, it's part of social networking. I yeah. get that, but at the yeah. same time, it's like I feel like. I'm never gonna. But the, but the whole thing is like to click like on something. As long as I like literally like if it's just a, if it's a comics like if someone's like hey like my Nazi page I wouldn't be like yeah okay. Like my Nazi page. But like if but if if people are like you know just this is my comedy page or this is my band's page or whatever like it, what does it hurt for me to click like on it I never have to look at it again. No, I I guess I don't know. I mean I suppose it it could. In I mean theory, it's not like someone goes to my likes on Facebook. And goes, oh my god, look at all these things he likes. No, no, no. But I will tell you. So the other day I decided to like a bunch of industry related stuff like Variety, you know, Hollywood Reporter from our from our page. I don't remember. No, 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 no. On my own personal thing. So I, I will say that there is some danger of over liking because then immediately my time, my, my feed was crap. filled with that information, yeah. which some of it was very helpful, but a lot of it ended up being redundant. Like they're all reporting the same thing. So sure. then I've got this massive repeat feed on uh, on you know the uh, the, the chick uh, Kristen, whatever her name is, uh, that was in all the the uh, teenage vampire movies. Um, she's just outside of my demographic, so you know what I'm talking teenage about teenage right? vampire. Oh, Stewart, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I know. You know, I I worked with her dad. Have I ever told you that I worked? I worked Patrick Stewart. No, her oh, dad's okay. name is John Stewart, but not the John Stewart that oh, okay. from the Daily what Show. What does her dad do? Her dad w- is an AD. He's, oh, okay, he's a. Uh, He's like a, a floor guy, though, for like studio shows, or was. Okay. When I worked with him, it, I was a PA on the Jamie Kennedy experiment, and we did all our host rap, uh, the host rap section of the show on uh, at the studio. We were at KTLA, and then we moved to... Uh... Actually, nope, we were at KTLA the whole time, but Jon Stewart was our... Was our AD? He was the floor guy. He managed everybody. He got everything moving. He was long haired dude, super cool, like super cool. He worked Farm Aid. You know, he said people were throwing stuff at Don Johnson. Like he had stories. <laughs> this guy had stories for days. Get dude. him on the show. He was great. Yeah, if I if I could get a hold of him, I would get him on the show. But when I was working with him, he come he come he was, he was never like flustered. He comes inside. And he's he's just getting off the phone. He's kind of angry, and I'm like I'm like, what's up, John? He's like, ah. I told my daughter to stay home and she uh, called for a limo and is going to this premiere of this movie she's in. And I'm like, what? And his daughter at the time was like, I don't know, six, seven, something like that, like <laughs> eight years old. She was in uh, 
Panic Room with Jodie Foster. Uh huh. Okay. As a, she was the kid she in the, the movie. Kid. Okay. And she was like, I want to go to this premiere. And she, he's like, I can't take you. I'm working. You can't go. Okay. That's it. She's like, nah. She calls the studio, sets up a car, gets in the limo herself, and goes to the thing. And he was just pissed. And I was like, oh, I go, that's really funny. And then later on, I was like, hilarious when Chris, you're not a parent. Of course. And then I go, and then I'm like, later on, I'm like, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart. And I'm like, and then, oh, the girl from Panic Room. Oh, the girl from Panic Room is John Stewart's daughter. Like, that's how I put it all together. Oh, but I was okay. like, uh, I was always like, really, that was, I always found that funny. And I've, uh, John was, is a super cool guy. I hope he's uh, doing well. That's good. I mean, send, send a message to him. I will. If I can. Right? Yeah, you know what? Why not? Look, him, I could probably find him online, huh? LinkedIn. I, there was this, I'll, have, I'll ask him to like my LinkedIn profile. Speaking of stage work, I remember one time there was this woman. Uh, she was doing just doing some background work on some movie, but she was she was a lot older. She was like in her um, actually no stand up comedy. It wasn't background work. She was uh, Peter, our guest today. Can I bring him in? Because I want to yeah. actually ask yeah. you about now. Peter you're part Sprite. of the show. Now, oh yeah, and he's like, I'm in the middle of texting. Do you mind? Do you remember when we were say, running? You can say hi if you want. No, hi he... if you want. Okay, <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> we got a little Burns and Allen going on here. Nah, <laughs> say good night, Gracie. You better remember how to use a microphone, Peter. I know it's been a while. So you don't know need microphones. You, little, you have know, to talk into them. You know what I know? I know not to drop a mic. All right, talk closer into the microphone. Uh-huh. Make sure that I know that you're there. There we are. Yeah. Do you remember? So Peter and I used to run um, the belly room at the comedy store for I don't know a couple years at least. Um, but give, do you remember? Can you, do we want to give years on that? Do we can we get it a time frame? Do you remember when it was? I didn't have kids at that point, did I? It was uh, no, I don't think so. Um, Maybe early 2000s? It had to have been. It was after 9-11, right? Or was it? Yeah. No, yeah, it was after 9-11 because okay. that was 2001. So maybe like 2003 to 2006, somewhere around there, okay. yeah, maybe? All right. Okay. Um, uh, do you remember there was a really, really old woman who used to be a dancer that would come and do the... Con- she, she was trying stand-up comedy. Do you remember? Do you remember? I know we had a lot of kooky people cross paths, but... Well, especially at the store back then. Yeah. Um, do you remember who I'm talking about? I, she didn't I do... She, what, but anyway, so she said, you know, she was a dancer way back in the day, danced, you know, like, you know, when Sinatra would do a show and all this kind of stuff. Right, they like a dancers. Vegas, yeah, Vegas dancer. type... Um, and, but for a while, she said she used to be a PA way back in the early days of television. And she was talking about how when you're on a set now, everyone's got radios and you've got a headset connected to your radio. She said back then in the early days of communication, everyone was hardwired. So you could only walk so, so far, far. Oh, my with God. Your, they all had basically PLs on. Yeah, so if you ran too far, it would basically just rip off, rip your, head. off your head or just throw you down to the ground. And I, I could only imagine how much more difficult all that cable, cable wrangling or must have been. Or if you cross paths and then cross right. paths. <laughs> yeah, you're just tied up in a huge <laughs> yeah. spider web of cable. Dude, the... the 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 way that like the <laughs> it's insane that TV and movies got made before the technology we have now. Yeah. Before you could just take a camera and go make a movie like film and like and talk to a, anybody who PA'd before cell phones. They had a pager and that pager they would they would and, and they had a bag a pillowcase full of quarters and they'd be in their car <laughs> and they'd be doing a run. They get a page. They'd have to find a payphone, yeah. pull over, call the office. Someone so wants another coffee. What? I already took the coffee order. Then you got to get back in your car and you got to go get that coffee and then you got to hope you don't get another page. Like. Enraging. Speaking of that, you, Peter, you've been in Los Angeles how long? Uh, Twenty three years. Okay, and and when you first moved out here, cell phones were ju- where were cell phones yeah, at? They, they didn't exist. No, so yeah, it, not. Yeah. And you and you moved out here. Five maybe was and, when those first bulky cell phones with the antenna that always broke off. The nub. 
Yeah. And and you were were you did you, did you come out uh, did initially do stand up an actor or what was your what was your uh, yeah, initially yeah, were I out had not done stand up but I was thinking I'm gonna start doing stand up. Okay. So do you worked in production basically one as an actor no, or um, commercial work? No, what was the I first thing you I did? I had uh, my first uh, SAG job was 1997. So okay. I was four years like just doing open mics and. Oh okay. And where did you whatever. move from? North Carolina. North Carolina. Well, yeah, North Carolina. So back, time. so during that time when you were actually working on set, there was it wasn't a cell phone set. It was still a payphone set. It was still a Thomas Guide set. It was still Thomas yeah, Guide. I, oh my god! I, I, we would. I'd, I'd get an audition on my pager, as John said. Did, did you now? Did you have the phone number pager, or did you go fancy with the text? Um, I had the phone number pager. That you I had think. to call back. They they would put my commercial agent would uh, text with a code, and you'd call their office and say. I'm responding to code number 0037. And that would um, say, okay, you must be Peter Sprite. This is for a Skittles audition at Westside Casting Studios on Olympic at 315, dressed as a young um, uh, loser dad or something like that. So Um, you would get a text code, and that code was specific to yep. what what your role was supposed That's to be. That's a good what system, though. That's an efficient no, that, system. That was. Yeah, you know? I mean, still, it's, I think it's hard for people to understand. And, and well, right. Think, if like, someone told you that was still that their process, system, you'd go, yeah. you're an idiot. <laughs> and then it was invariably on that one Thomas Brothers Guide page that had been used so much that it ripped out of the book <laughs> yeah and you're like oh that's the one map i need so by the third time buying a thomas brothers guide i would um make go to kinko's and make 17 copies of that page and put it in uh, i'd laminate it and just put that <laughs> in my car yeah i yeah i and the thing is la more so than many other cities Thomas Guides back then, pre-GPS, was so important. Oh, my it's God. It's really confusing to get around this city because the roads, they're not normal grids. So a road that you could be driving on going east-west will eventually take you north-south because it actually bends, and then it starts crossing roads that it was running parallel with. I, so things can get very confusing if you don't know what you're doing. I think got, like Silver Lake's confusing, but a lot of the city, to me, is not that confusing. Well, Downtown's after 23 years, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, some cities like Boston is a very confusing city. And why is that? Because the, um, I think it's the... Have you been to Boston? Yes, but They've very briefly. These, like traffic turnaround the turn Turnabouts or whatever they're called. All yeah. of those turnabouts, if you have a sense of direction, you know you're going north, northeast, the turnabout just knocks it right out of your head. And then you have no idea what... You're like, wait, am I supposed to go? Going. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard people talk about those. And, and I, I suppose out here, and I learned this very early on, I don't know how you guys were, but I just started using the mountains as my point of reference. If they're on my right, when I'm driving, that means um, I'm, I'm heading west because those are the, the mountains. I'm to, when I'm on my right, I would be on my north. If they're on my left, I'm heading east. Like, that was how I Yeah, if you're driving everything. Adam, you're going north if you're driving west. But just, then you get into places like part of different valleys, and you're like, well, <laughs> now I'm, I'm looking, I'm surrounded by mountains now which way am I going? But I, put, I guess put this way, I was late for a lot of shit when I first moved Absolutely, there. and if parking was insane and I got a million tickets, but that Thomas guide, man, it really did make it so you're like, okay, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, this is where I'm going. And then you would just go, you would go. It was like... You were a Thomas guide PA, right? You had... Yeah, you had I had... That, I, yeah. yeah, man, that was the first thing. Someone's like, you don't have a Thomas guide? I go, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, I have no idea. And they're like, get one. I was like... So, and again, back then, I was like... Jesus, these things are 30 bucks? Like, I don't have 30 bucks. Who has 30 bucks? <laughs> I haven't even like, paid yet. Yeah, no one's exactly. Like, your first paycheck will be in two weeks. Go get a Thomas Guide. Go get this. Go put gas in your car. Like, Jesus. Did you ever do production work? No. No. You Okay, so you, you stay committed. That's good. And, um, 
No, but I had a day job. Just wasn't in the industry. What'd you do? I was a uh, buyer for a bicycle company, and then a graphic artist for that same bicycle company. Oh, that's cool, though. So you, so I want to, I want to take us. Uh, I'm going to go completely off topic because I don't want to forget about this. So um, you have a squatty potty. I, I have. Yeah, one. I was thinking. Oh. I was two. just thinking about it this oh, morning. I was taking one. a poop, and I didn't have my squatty potty, and I wanted to get one, but they're twenty five dollars. And oh, you had said I that you Nicole had a squatty Mc... potty, and so I was just was that a hundred show? Does squatty potty come from Shark Tank? Yeah. No. Do you well, do you have know. it as Wait, a joke or you actually use it? <clears throat> um, I, I guess I use it. But, what do you mean you uh, guess you use purpose. it? Um, uh, not on purpose. It, uh, Sally put it around the toilet, and now you've got no choice but to put your feet on it. Well, I mean, it's a piece of plastic that slides in and out. You could move but it. But why can't you just lean forward? I don't know. Same thing. I, well, I thought there was a leg I, thing. I am not investing. You've seen the unicorn product. commercial, right? Genius the commercial. The, you haven't seen the commercial? Yeah, the commercial with the really, unicorn. Yeah, the commercial's unicorn. good. Where the guy? It, it's it's, an, the it's an online. Body. Yeah, it's an online ad. It it's, could never it's be very, on It's very TV. clever. It's very funny. It's a unicorn taking um, rainbow shits into ice cream. That's how they. That's how they teach kids about the squatty potty. Yeah, and then the guy actually eats it. So they don't ever show yeah. the kids <laughs> eat it, which is interesting. Like they actually knew where to draw the line. But my, me and my kids have watched it on several occasions, <coughs> and I don't. Here's the thing, though. You're they right. Don't, they don't show the. They don't show they the don't. kids eating. I it. noticed that they do Jeez. not show the kids eating Curious. unicorn shit because I they, I. they realize there's no one's going to complain about a weird dude talking about uh-huh. unicorn poop uh-huh. eating unicorn poop. Yeah. But you know as a parent and I know as a parent it takes one shot of that kid just licking. Oh, big. What we all know is <laughs> yeah. one unicorns yeah. are not real. So uh, the whole concept is not real, but not basically been proven, but but basically what they're saying is you are showing a child eating someone's poop. Fuck you. <laughs> That's basically they're waiting for that one email. Either use the squatty potty or eat shit. <laughs> So anyway, so you inadvertently, and have you noticed a difference? Because I really want to get one. I just Nicole don't swears $25. by it. Nicole swears by it. Two unicorns, one cup. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure um, there is one. I, I, I've never. I've always been a like at least semi pro level pooper. Never had a problem. I do like three, four a day. Three. That's good. Four that's, poops that's normal. A day? That's normal. That's that's he's a normal person. I do. I, I can do. I do t- about two. I do too, but they're usually both in the morning. Like I wake up, I pee, I try to go back to bed. I got to get up right away again to go poo. Yeah, so mine's on a schedule. Then I'll get up. Like then if seven, I do something or go to the gym, come back, poop again. No earlier than seven fifteen. No later than seven twenty. Yeah, <sighs> mine's nine thirty, and it wrecks my first part of my day because nine thirty is like you could go hiking, but I can't go hiking. You know what I mean? Because I'd have to go hide behind a bush, and that's just which is which is natural, but it's illegal. Which is natural. Oh, you're you're so you're so into nature. That's dude. right. I gotta go hiking and poop outside. So I I, twenty five. Go ahead. I'm soccer sorry. game Saturday morning at seven. I had to get up really early and trick my body. Yeah, force into of doing shit. Its yeah, morning poo. Yeah. Now, how does one I trick went. a body? I woke up at like five forty five and had some coffee. Uh, gave myself some positive self talk that it was actually <laughs> six forty five, so that um, uh, the mind it, starts believing. Yeah. Okay. If you whatever you can believe and conceive, you can achieve. So including do you, a poop. Do you use more than ten percent of your brain capacity? Then it sounds like that's like an eleven percenter right there. Um, if you it, can, my brain goes up to eleven. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can turn it up whatever. to eleven. Yeah, all the forty-seven-year-olds who think they're cool do a Spinal Tap reference. <laughs> no one listening gets it. <laughs> Everyone listens. Yeah, we have great listeners. Actually, how dare you? Oh, we're going to keep going. Oh, and then Brian turns that off so that uh, people get... Okay. Bye. Uh, so why don't they get to keep <clears throat> no, watching? No, we're busted. What What's happening?
So this is your thing. Oh, sorry. I can't. I stopped. But, I started looking at but, you. What, what? Why do you do this? Why do you do... How, how long have you guys been in the business? You should have known He's better. You just got to keep the dialogue going. Sorry, I should have kept going with Spinal Tap. No, you should have just go. So I, so I, so it's twenty. So you're saying the twenty five dollars is worth it, or you're saying you're trying to get me a squatty potty oh, discount? I, I, I don't. First of all, you're indifferent. It's, I, I don't care. I a long time ago. This is so. I don't know if this is weird, but a long time ago, I worked uh, on a show with a, a friend of mine. His name is Oscar. Uh, he's an art uh, production designer. Really creative, super great guy. Uh, hilarious, and he was telling me that his sister. You know, I, his, I wouldn't say she was like a hippie or anything, but I think she was a little bit more. Uh, open to you know what I mean she was just a little more open minded about stuff so he was like oh my sister she uses this toilet where her feet because I was talking about taking shits one day at work I was like ah, I can't take your man it, it makes sense you don't I, have to justify it right and and he explained how his sister went to the bathroom he goes I guess it like cleans you right out like the way your body is positioned mm-hmm. and I was like and she, he goes it, it's like it was like a Native American thing you know and I was like okay you know what? That's probably true. They that is probably a fucking. And then, like years and years later, the squatty potty comes out, and like I'm, I laughed at it. And Nicole's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get. I have one of those." And I, I don't know if it came from Shark Tank. I want to correct myself. I don't know if it like started there, but it went through Shark Tank somehow. I believe. And then whatever she has one in her bathroom. I've tried it, but like I feel like I'm just gonna be too loud. With my poops, if I do it that way. Well, it's not like you wouldn't understand this until you have kids. But Peter, did you used to do the bend your kids, uh, your the baby legs to make them fart thing? So the, the put, push the knees towards the belly. Oh, <laughs> you never did that. You never had fart games. No. Why? You never had to release gas. I I never learned that trick. It wasn't on the um the. Uh, I can't believe you never baby you, you, on the block. Ah, you you missed. <laughs> You miss one of the greatest joys of parenting is when a kid gets all... So what would you do when when she got all full of gas? How would you help her relieve... Well, yeah, but but you could relieve it faster if you... You really never did that. You messing with me right now? I have never had a problem pooping. She's never had a problem farting and continues not to have (laughs) I want to be very clear uh, for those of you, and it's going to be most of you right now that are listening are not familiar with Peter. Sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between when he's telling the truth and when he's messing with you, which uh, um, if any of you listen to the uh, Bill Dwyer mystery podcast, oh, oh. you'll know that he took yeah, that for the whole show. And yeah. we, to this day, still have no idea. What the hell was going like, on what with the Bill? Hell, and you know Bill very well. He, we, I don't know what happened on that show. We, he just kept spinning tales, and we don't know what of the tales he, were he, true. He would what? just start, because like, certain things were true that you could, you could figure out and look up, and then he would say things about people that he was in movies with and be like, Oh, that sounds eccentric. And then later on, you'd be like, "Yeah, now that wasn't." And I'd be like, "Wait, what? So, what do you? What is real?" Like, it, it became very confusing for us, as which uh, was fine. It, it made for an extremely entertaining show. Oh, people loved just, it. Yeah, yeah. We people just never it. knew yeah. the yeah. truth. Ski yeah, still don't. Two? Did he tell you a ski school two story? He may uh, have. He may. No, have. was he in that? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's take a step back before you even got here. So you grew up in North Carolina. Okay, if I take a step back, my mic's not going to work. Sure, no, yeah, yeah, no. You lean forward, you take a step back. Lean forward, body okay. back. I'm back. All right, it's good improv. So obviously good. you did improv in North Carolina. No? Uh, yeah, take a step forward and, uh, and tell us all about it. 
Now, is this was this the original concept? What was the show? Uh, Whose line is it anyway? Would that would that be considered like a great bit for Whose line is it anyway? Is that right there? You think? Or? It's. I think that would be good. I think especially if you do Whose line is it anyway on a podcast, <laughs> I think it'd be <laughs> a lot of physical humor on the podcast. A lot of slapstick, a lot of falling down. I mean, all we all we really need to do is bring like pots and pans in here and just start throwing them around, and people will be like, "Oh man, they're crashing all over the place in there." So you you grew up in North Carolina? Okay. <laughs> no, no. You, actually, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I, you, I you were born in another country. Is this true? It wasn't really a step back because I'm not standing. It was more like a scare, a stair, a, a stair mask. Seat, oh, we're still we're still scooch, on that, are we? Like a seat, scooch scooch back. back, and then I scooch my seat forward again. <laughs> so I can't remember. I, I'm I'm screwing up the story, which is good because John doesn't know either way. You either you either born and moved to uh, Africa. No, I could have just leaned back like this <laughs> and then leaned forward again. Physical humor. Yeah, you're actually. It's actually you're also doing. Theater of the mind, I guess. Technically, when you do this and that, you're oh, actually, I could hear the difference when you, you did, did that. do that. Did you hear it when I did it? All, I will tell yeah. you though that yeah. I, I put it through a program called Levelator, so all of this kind of uh, gets oh, lost it, in translation. Uh, okay. It it, so it, it grabs your distance and, and that yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it ooh, you I like it. Levelator. It yeah, sounds like it. Uh, Steve Simone hooked me up on that. Is it like is it like auto tune? Like how you kind of kind of cheating? I don't auto tune the whole. Hey Peter, this would be great. I was like, man, they're all. Where did you grow up? They're so in tune, and the whole podcast. They don't even go out of tune. It's nuts. Ethiopia. <laughs> Ethiopia. See? Now, born or moved to? Born. Okay. That's not really that interesting. How long, seems were, interesting. How long were you there? Five years. Five years? Do you have... Okay, did so... You, had, did you yeah, start school there, memories. or did you no, leave right before? I, I left before. Do you have any memories whatsoever? Yeah, I, I'm always trying memories. to figure out, like, some, the five some, to yeah. less... In yeah, range, what you actually remember. I remember my brother uh, daring me to eat mud from the wall, and I did it, <laughs> and that's the last time I ate mud. All right. Um, I remember trying to trick my mother into thinking I was her husband. Um, that's a story uh, for a whole podcast. <laughs> and then uh, I remember, I thought I remembered being born, but I was actually two in the hospital with suspected meningitis. Oh, okay, good. I good. survived. From eating the mud? No. Uh, okay. Oh, no, that was later. I ate the mud later. Did you get sick from, from eating the mud, the mud too? No, I think I spat it out. It didn't taste good. And what? Were, why were you there? Why were you living in Ethiopia with the family? My father did public health work. Okay. When you say like, so what was his main job there? He would uh, travel around the country and immunize people. Okay. Now this. Is, so eat. What? So during that time, you have uh, you have two or three older brothers. Two older, one younger. One younger. Okay. I didn't ask if I had a younger, but uh, I told you. We. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's hard to remember. I don't remember all this stuff. <laughs> um, in how much older are your older brothers? They have they have more. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot, are they a lot old? What's the, how much older um, is your it's, oldest uh, brother? It's, uh, it's basically two years and four years older. Okay, so, so the nine year old would my, have had my some. My oldest brother. They went to a French school. My oldest brother spoke fluent French and um, broken Amharic, which was the native, okay, the main native. Language. Wow. Now, when you say all so over the country, like how much languages. traveling was your dad doing? I mean, like all, like literally, like <laughs> all over. He went no. up to Eritrea at that time was part of Ethiopia, and but they were kind of in a decades long civil war okay. to try to break away from Ethiopia. So he'd get shot at in Eritrea, um, which is the northern end. And he'd go everywhere. So th- that's my question. It was not, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what it's like now, but back back then, it was not necessarily the safest place in the world to be going around. And, and what was the what was the 
did he face a lot of issues in respects to you know being also a white man in that country as well? Was that kind of a was that a big no, part of it? Not at all. It had it nothing to do. It was more of a civil war kind of thing yeah, going on. And and it was a, a pretty safe place to be. It was at that time. It was less safe after the Marxists took over in the early seventies. Okay, we were gone. You were gone by then. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So it's like I'm I'm doing the dumb American thing where I just assume there's always been conflict and problem, and there was always an issue between you know black and white, and and there was always civil wars, and there was always you know what I mean, like all that stuff. But you were during yeah, that time. No, I it mean, wasn't, there, it wasn't South Africa. There there wasn't a white, um, uh, you know, European imperialist government. It was um, highly Selassie. It was the emperor. There was the last in a two thousand year run of of emperors okay. in Ethiopia. They were always independent. They fought off Mussolini in wow. know, 1937 <clears throat> or something. So they're relatively so, chill in, in the big picture uh, so of it. So the, the, the white people who were there were there working. They weren't, oh, okay. weren't ruling the country. They weren't trying to... Yeah. Okay. So there wasn't that tension. Do um, uh, And then when you guys... And so where where's your family originally from? My... Uh, Previous to Ethiopia, basically Massachusetts. Oh, okay. My dad uh, was born in San Francisco, but grew up on a farm in Western Mass. And okay. My mom in Boston. Okay, and so what brought you guys? You went from Ethiopia to North Carolina, and what brought them there? Um, uh, my father took a job teaching at the UNC School of Public Health. Oh, okay, okay. So was he? What? What are, did, did he enjoy his time in Ethiopia, or was he looking for a, an out? I think he did. He did. Okay. Um, but six years was enough. Did um, did his role in this in doing all that stuff? Did it have an impact on on anybody in your family and how you guys what you guys chose to do in in your lives? Um, I, I guess my little brother uh, got a master's in public health and then uh, did work in Kenya and um, lived in um, Ecuador for I think three years doing public wow. health work. So um, yeah, I guess so. But not you. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you're all public healthed out. You're so like, eh. what was what what was life like? I mean, obviously, everything you hear, you and I have had these conversations. Everything you hear about North Carolina right now is not good. Obviously, they have lost their minds and they're um, anti uh, transgender. And they, yeah, which which is interesting. Um, we'll talk about this later. Peter has some personal experience in respects to that. But, you know, I mean, you, you shared some pretty interesting insight in respects to how North Carolina's actually broken down politically and how you actually see that having been there and having family that still lives there. So, yeah. like, what's your take on this whole? Uh, um, you know, I think uh, what's happening in North Carolina and a lot of states now is kind of like, in from my perspective, what happened with the squatty potty. It was... Um, <laughs> A lot of these uh, conservative legislate, legislators and governors are passing laws that fix a problem that doesn't exist. So, um, but why? Uh, that, that's the question: is why well, even why it, even it, they gotten it's, to that point? It's, it's not that the for example, look at all the voter ID laws. Voter fraud is hasn't historically been a big issue. It's a very very tiny percentage of of votes that get cast are actually fraudulent like so small it's in the single digits in mm -hmm. a lot of states so um they don't they don't care about voter fraud they care about um who's voting repressing voting from people who won't vote for republicans so they couch the law as a voter fraud law 
to um, suppress votes. Because the voter fraud sounds scary, and you don't want that. And then they just base the law in fear, and then people are like, yeah, we got to have that. It'll protect us. And then they give talking points to, uh, you know, everyone in the media uh, who who will repeat them until Mm -hmm. uh, people who don't do research believe it and support it. And it's the same thing that happened with HB2, which is the, you you know, the, the most... The part that's getting the most coverage is the, you know, transgender bathroom part of that. But that's a solution to a problem that didn't doesn't exist. Right? How how many times have you been in a bathroom and been assaulted by a transgender? Never. Person? It's not. There's not. There's like not one case of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody. And, and and having said that, and 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 they they've actually talked about how this. This is hard on them in a respect to that they're not looking for the attention either, and that that's the thing is they don't yeah, want they don't this want attention. Yeah, on they don't them. want to. You would never like. They're just trying you to figure would really out how to survive. Probably never even know if no. you. Like, you know what I mean? Here's a problem that does exist: uh, assaults on transgender right. people. That's that's, that's a, a fact. Problem. Yeah. yeah, and and so, I so, so um, they're they're trying to fix a, a problem that doesn't exist and ignoring the problem that does exist. And, and you hit on something that was really important, Peter. That I, that I think you told me about. And, I, and there's two things. One is Alec, right? Was that the that's uh, the American Alec. Legislative Exchange Council what, is a um, conservative uh, um, corporate backed group that writes legislation, and they give all this legislation to. Um, uh, state uh, legislators, governors, etc., to sign off on, on and pass. So and that's why you see the same laws being passed in Wisconsin and North Carolina and Texas and all these different states. They're these, written by lobbyists. They're basically. written by lobbyists, which um, shouldn't even be legal, but it is. It's the way the way things are right now. But the, and the other thing is, and this goes back to what everybody's kind of talking about. You know, whether you're Trump or Bernie or Hillary, the real issue is, and, and it was I, I, um, Samantha B. I I think, actually talked about this in one of her shows. Again, not turning this into a political thing, but I just want to talk but, about this in respect to... You but Well, it, it is. Everything is political, so who cares? And I don't even care anymore, because I care about my kids and their future. So, but... Um, the real important thing is is not just voting for the president of the United States, which is all these little elections that are becoming up in the next couple of years that people forget about and don't have as much passion for. And you were talking about how it can take one person with a little bit of money that can seed into all these smaller, what we deem as less impactful communities that ultimately end up creating the problems that you have, yeah, and, a and, bigger problem that you end up having in North Carolina. Is that would that be North correct Carolina, in that? there's a guy named Art Pope who's a multi-millionaire or billionaire who's funding local elections, school board elections, and those kind of things, he'll put a million dollars into a local election where usually, you know, $312 is spent, um, you know, uh, at Kinko's making copies of signs to put in front yards. So in, like, Wake County, North Carolina, where the state capital is, they... um, replaced the school board basically they bought a new school board and started changing the way schools are run and um you know uh we don't want our kids to be taught science we want them to be creationism you know so um but but the, the the more important thing about this is they're changing the way um we vote for our senators for and our congressmen and that's how they get control of the senate yeah. and the house um by gerrymandering and by um suppressing the vote yeah which so. goes back to the big thing the dark money so and the they, fact that people can put uh, you know the citizens united like all that stuff and i guess and I, 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 
it spirals. I get, and it's funny. It all starts with a very simple question from somebody who grew up in North Carolina and what, you remove everything we just talked about and you broke it down into something very simplistic. You're like, look, man, most people there don't, don't believe what is on the table. Yeah, they just don't. Yeah, the I average mean, person, like we're blanketing the whole state and you're saying, no, the average person there has no, is not, does not want HB2, is not worried about that stuff. And, and a lot of those average people are people who uh, um, can't vote now because um, <laughs> because of the voter ID laws. They're, they're, if you're 22 and you go to college in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the law's been passed that you can only vote in your home precinct in, you know, in eastern North Carolina, you're not likely to drive 180 miles to vote and then drive back to campus. And those are the kind of things that are happening now so it's wacky but i'm we all we're all realists and we know what's going on here it's it's a group of people's last stand they see the world has evolved past them and this is pretty much pretty typical what happens we've seen it in other countries as we were growing up where things happen things change and the old regime does not want the change because they lose their their power and their influence and you're seeing it happen now unfortunately we got to live through it i just hope it uh, you know it um history always uh, will teach us where the right side of the fence was so um, you, uh, um, when you're in North Carolina, did you grow up, a uh, um, uh, conservative or did you, were you, was your family religious at all? Like where, how, what kind of life did you have growing up? Um, my dad is a, uh, he was in the Navy in World War II and, um, went ashore in Japan after, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He, he saw the devastation. Private. Um, they did, uh, yeah. They they sent people ashore to see what happened because they'd never dropped nuclear on bombs people, on, yeah. on <clears throat> cities before. Yeah. So that experience turned him into a, a pacifist, and he became like a, a uh, anti-war tax resistor, etc. So he was. Does he talk about what he saw, or does he just kind of sum it up to like it's, um, it was horrible? He talked about how polite and friendly these Japanese civilians were, some of whom were, um, you know, had massive burns and, and so on, um, and how these were the enemy um, that we decided we had to kill take out the hundreds yeah. of thousands, and then, and then kill again by the hundreds of thousands um, for whatever reason, uh, uh, and everyone has their theories, um, but... Uh, so yeah, he became so, a pacifist. So, but so you're not an activist family. It was just more pacifist of like I'm not going to engage in the things. No, that I, I mean he was activist. He, he was would, okay. He would not pay the the portion of his taxes that he thought would go to the military, which is like 38 percent or whatever. And then the IRS would um, uh, try to garnish his wages and so on. Then he did all these financial tricks to keep him from getting his money. And then he decided to. Retire so that he wouldn't make enough money to support the war. So, <laughs> love um, this. Wow. We grew, we grew up, uh, you know, with a lot of secondhand clothes and a giant garden and grew a lot of our own food. Did that so, bother you as a kid growing up when you look at the other kids and how they lived? Did you go through those natural things or were you? Yeah, did you? Okay. It did. I mean, uh, uh, when you're in high school and um, the kid across the aisle says, 
oh man, uh, I, I, I used to wear that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on a second. Meaning you're that's wearing my, their shirt? That's from- my uncle's shirt. Where'd you get that? It's like in the thrift store down the street. I could see how that would, that would affect you. Now, in hindsight, though, now that you're older and you're a parent and stuff like that, do you, do you respect what he went through? Or do you kind of, are you, is the line blurred because you had to also live it as a kid and you also understand it as an adult? I think it, the line is blurred. You, it, there's a, a um, balance between understanding kids and how their self-esteem develops and also um, taking care of your world. So, right. So both are important, um, and you can't do one to the exclusion of the other. Do you? I, I'm always curious as to how somebody actually becomes uh, uh, gets into the world of wanting to act and do stand up and all that stuff. Was that part of your escape? Do you think? Yeah, I think my defense method mechanism was uh, being funny. Now, well, you weren't well, you weren't getting a lot of outside influence. Were you? Were you seeing a lot of comedy? Were you hearing a lot of comedy? Uh, no, I uh, you were funny uh, heard on your a lot own. of um, uh, folk music. So. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Which, as we know, is the funniest of all yeah. musics. <laughs> if it's Christopher like, Guest. It's... Nothing like Pete Seeger to help, <laughs> help kick off your comedy career. Um, no, I, I, I didn't see a lot of comedy, but I think I, I loved like um, uh, the Smothers Brothers and... Um, Bob Newhart. But your dad probably also loved the Smothers Brothers, right? I mean, he wasn't really a funny man. Re- oh, wow. Okay. I thought that those guys would have at least spoken to him a little bit with the uh, anti establishment. So, was your, was your family big into TV, or did you strike? Were you the TV guy? Were you the kid sneaking and watching the TV stuff by yourself, or did. Or um, did- we didn't even have a TV until okay. uh, um, I was eight, I think. Okay. And then we were very limited. They. they would let us watch, you know, Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers or those kind of things, educational TV, and wouldn't let us watch anything that they thought was violent, including Bugs Bunny. Um, I remember uh, when they used to talk about how people believe yeah. that Bugs Bunny was one of the most violent cartoons on television. It's funny looking back at it now when you can turn on TV and see what you see for the kids. But So uh, it was like maybe junior high school when I finally started watching things like Happy Days or sitcoms and wow. got okay and, yeah. and is that when it really had an impact on you or just out of curiosity going back real quick so when you're young and you're not watching a lot of tv did you have a lot of friends did you play by yourself a lot were you, were you big into imagination like how does that is, what does your imagination grow more because you're not just sitting there you don't have the tv thing or did any of that have an impact or your real impact of what you became i, I don't know i think it was uh uh you know, back then we'd get home from school and we'd do, do, get our bikes and go play all day. We wouldn't different times. Yeah, watch, yeah. I missed that part. Watching TV wasn't a big part of most kids' lives. True, um, but uh, uh, I think what got me into comedy was doing just uh, being funny because that's the way I. Uh, made friends and made people laugh and, and now, so on. So, okay, so here's... You You have an interesting style of humor. It's unique in the fact that it's... Uh, a lot of it's very dry. A lot of it's like you're... I, it's a gray area where, like, I was, I was joking earlier where you can't tell... 
is this guy serious right now or is this guy messing with me? Did you develop that style very, very early on? Because it seems like that's a very tough and unique style to be carrying into high school. <laughs> You're always right. like, that's a dangerous line between depending right. on what you say, you could get punched in the face. Are you making fun face. of me? I'm going to kick your fucking ass. <laughs> like it's a lot of guys like are just straight up yuck, yuck. And you know, like, right. oh, there's a class I'm clown. just joking around. So when you say me. that, like define like <clears throat> what, what when you were being the funny guy, like what kind of funny guy were you? I think we could do the last 20 minutes of this podcast and still get the same information out, but do it in a funny way. So, okay. Um, should we do that? No, I don't know what you just said. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, people still don't get me. <laughs> I was going to say, I think he says we're not being funny. I don't, but. Know, I don't, know, if, I don't know what I don't know what to make of him. That's you would hear that a lot? Yeah. But but that with but that's a safe zone because that means but, they think like okay this guy's being a goofball right at least they're they're putting you in that category is that it? it as long as I thought it was funny if it made me not laugh because I'm not a laugher but made me think I would laugh if I were a laugher then it was fine with me that other people didn't have to oh, get okay. it okay okay or as long as the person who didn't get it didn't get it but other people were able to laugh um, with me and at them or not with me because I wasn't laughing but with the me that would have been laughing were I a laugher, then that's fine with me. <laughs> um, you were also athletic. You, you, I am, you, were, you were not uh, a guy that was an isolationist. So wait, you didn't just... can we diagram that last sentence? No, that would be too... We don't have the, we don't have the paper. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a sketch sound effect where I can make it seem like I was actually <laughs> sketching out the... Uh... See, I told you, I'm not ready. That's what I was trying to say in the beginning of the show. Going to other people's shows, they have all this stuff. They They've got, like, a, they get a little board, the, and they the all sound these sound effects. effects and I just did it. You you're done, with, you're done with the drawing. Line. Peter could make a uh, d- comment about Smothers Brothers, and uh, our and producer would be over there and play right a Smothers yeah. Brothers bit, yeah. and, you know, they would have Mom all this Mom always did like you best. <laughs> But you, uh, you uh, were a soccer kid growing up as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah I loved soccer. Um, you played in high school? Uh, I played in junior high. And junior in high. high school, I switched to cross country and track. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then I play now. I still, I still injure myself. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. You still live in denial. That's totally, that's totally. Uh, so, did you do theater or anything in high school as well? Yeah, you yeah, did do I did theater. A lot of theater. And, and and was did you like that more, or did you? When did you actually start saying to yourself, stand up? Is an interesting I, form I th- of expression. I would do it maybe by about tenth grade or something. And you actually thought you would up. do stand up in tenth grade. Yeah, yeah, but I but it took. Uh, I think I started when I was thirty two or something. Oh, so okay. It took fifteen years before I actually got on stage to do it. But you were watching. You'd watch Johnny yeah. Carson or something like that, and yeah. you'd be fascinated with the stand ups and how they how they presented themselves and did what they did and all that kind of and stuff. And I would think that's what I just did in Latin class before. <laughs> office right right before i was sent to the office well, did you did you do that did you did you get sent to the office did you kind of do stuff that people would laugh at and you'd be like well at least i got a laugh it doesn't really matter what kind of trouble um, i got in. i i i was really good in my latin class uh, i don't know if you guys know clark Gregg, who's uh, hmm, was he in your class he was in my yeah latin no i don't class. Uh, i don't know clark uh, no. no you would he's, know who uh, he is he's oh uh, he's in uh, the, he was in the first a couple avengers He's Movies. on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, he on New Adventures, Adventures of Old Chris. I love that guy. Yeah. Dude, I so, love that guy. Wait a minute, you went to school with him. Yeah, he, he was, was in his grade class. school. He would get high school. to the office a lot. <clears throat> he um, was. But I, I usually was able to uh, um, do those things and somehow stay out of trouble. I did, I, I, my, our principal, I had a perfect impression of him, and I would do morning announcements sometimes, <laughs> and I would do it in his voice. 
and he'd be in the office right next door to where the intercom system was, and I'd be like sweating, hoping I would. He would get, get in the trouble. joke, and um, I think I think he just didn't understand. But you know, all the kids in homeroom would be laughing. <laughs> And somehow I got away with most of it. <laughs> he never just, you never heard the door. <laughs> Mr. Sprite, would you please come in here for a second? Oh, he probably thought it was kind of funny. I bet you the woman that ran, the women that ran the office probably loved it, right? The only time I got in big trouble was when I tripped a kid on the school bus. You? Um, uh, on the way to, to Guy B. Phillips Junior High School. And I got a paddling and uh, suspended from bus privileges for a week. Okay, so... so- how does one get to school when they get suspended from bus privileges? I'd run to school. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's your entry career in track and field. Yeah. There, you this, go. Like, that, there was an after school special about this kid who, who wet the, wet who the, wet the bed. The bed. Michael Landon. One? Yeah. Michael Landon. Of course I remember that. I used to wet the bed. I, I, I that was home and get his sheets off from outside the his house. His mom would embarrass the, him. Yeah. That's how she thought she was going to get him to stop wetting the bed. And this was an inspirational movie for me as a bedwetter. Oh, all right. I don't, I, I don't remember. I, I, I remember a lot of after-school specials. He became an Olympic uh, in that in that in Spazeva, movie, yeah. He became an Olympic athlete. I became nothing, but I was you inspired. You have a podcast? Uh, I was inspired by that. Yes. You're the first person to ever bring that up. That's funny. Do you remember the one about the kids who wanted to commit suicide? The one? The two, <laughs> I was going to say, that seems like a... Well, no, but there was like the, the two kids. Like One was a nerd, one was a jock. <laughs> Do you remember that Lifetime movie about the, <laughs> the woman, woman who wanted her baby back? <laughs> and it was like a woman, and then there was some situation she was in. No, the, I, just, I remember it vividly. A nerd and a jock were like, somehow like they became lab partners, and they both ended up wanting to kill themselves. And then like the jock was like, all right, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to drive my you know, T-bird off, the, off a cliff or whatever. And then the nerd bails last minute and survives, and then jock dies, and everyone uh, blames the nerd. Yeah. for the jocks death yeah listen they were not not all those there were feel good movies there were, <laughs> oh, dude this is not really you know good. Na, 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 not freeze frame did you ever you see know? the Helen Hunt one no she showed a clip of it when she hosted SNL this is years ago but she she goes I did a, I did one of those after school specials and it was about I think it was about meth or it was about some sort of speed type drug that might have been hip at the time but she's in this lab she's in a high school lab and she like takes a hit of whatever it is and just starts freaking out and she just runs and jumps through the window of the of the of the lab like out of like two stories to the ground like it was hilarious and she's like yeah it was one of my first roles i'm really proud of that <laughs> it was very funny so you were so inspired there was just one about uh, um suicide that's the only one i remember that's yeah, the most I impactful like one. Seventeen of them. I remember that one, and I remember the one with the the wave, where the the, the I I, I want I should look this up because it's it's probably I have worth them on disc. Just so you do know. you really? I own every single one of the ABC after school specials. Yes. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I, then we got to look this up. Yeah, we'll go. We'll do some research. The, of course, we would get the, them on YouTube. The too. The wave but. is the one where the guy the guy's t- trying to teach his class about Hitler, and the class is like Hitler. Who the fuck would believe that guy? Oh, he, yeah, he loves this, the, the jerk off. Like you know, what I mean, then they're talking about like you got to be a small brained idiot to go fall for that shit, you know. And the teacher's like, okay, 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 and the teacher slowly implements this club, and then all of a sudden he's like, okay, here's our uh, uniform, and here's our, and then it's like, oh, these people are different. We can't let them in the club. Like, yeah, you can't be in the club, and then like the class starts to. Like, and he goes like, well, if you guys show up in the auditorium, in the very end of it, he's like, you show up in the auditorium, I'll reveal to you who the leader is that you've been, that you're going to meet or whatever. And in the end, he shows them all a huge picture of Hitler. And they're like, wait, what? And they're like, this is exactly what happened, you idiots. And they were like, oh, 
That's a good one. Yeah. I, I think there was only one of those ones. Yeah. <laughs> the, the group was called Wave or The Wave or something. W-A-V-E, I think. Do you remember yeah. that one ESPN show where Stephen A. Smith had a strong opinion about something? I do, I one. think. And then... I haven't watched ESPN in a while, but did, did Skip Bayless say something annoying? Oh, I don't know. And Skip I, I Bayless, he's a pretty mild-mannered fella. doesn't have any opinions. Why does John get to not have this? He doesn't have... You don't, You can move it if you don't want to. Okay. Everyone hates the... Uh, I, they, some people call them the spit screens. I, they're the poppers. They're pop yeah. screens. I don't... Hate I was this? trying to make this... this in your I was trying to make this thing look pro, man. That's all I was just trying to do. I was trying to go pro here, and I thought if I went pro... Everybody that comes in would be like, wow, all right. This isn't, we're not doing this over someone's phone. I like how you're waiting 40 minutes in, though, to like, now I'm going to fix my. I just wanted to hear what the sound of the. It doesn't make it. Oh, that. Yeah, wait. Yeah. So well, that, we use auto tune, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Levelator is going to take all that mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Everything you just did. You got a filter for it. So, um, what kind of stuff did you do in theater? In uh, high school? I, I did. I started in um, Cheaper by the Dozen. I did so. I did like twenty plays before I went to college. Wow! And one of them was an original uh, world premiere uh, musical comedy about the bubonic plague it was called <laughs> Oh Rats. Wait, this is something um, you guys made up? <laughs> yeah, uh, this was uh, yeah, this was an original. Um, uh, so we did all the all the usual stuff. Okay, so you get done with high school and you're and you say to yourself, okay, I'm you. You actually have built up some confidence in the fact that you're going to continue to pursue this. Is that uh, what brought mm-hmm. you in? Is that why you went mm-hmm. to school where you went and all that yeah. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. or no? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school? Um, Northwestern. Yeah, you might be familiar with that, John. That's I've heard of it. Yeah, it's in a, a state called Illinois, near a certain city that starts with a C, ends in an O, and in the middle is Hecag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, I, I take it you've been to the friendly confines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Going to go off 4th of July, Reds, Cubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Northwestern, <laughs> by the way. bought a bottle of Prell at Dominic's Chicagoland? Uh, no, but I've been to Dominic's. Prell. I've been to the Dominic's out by where we used to live, and my uncle used to be a manager, used to run a Jewel. Uh I remember Jewel. Th- those yeah. two merged eventually, didn't they? Uh, no, Osco, Jewel, uh, Jewel, Osco yeah. merged. Osco was like a CVS, right? It was yeah, they were like, like they were kind of like a drugstore. Yeah. yeah. Um, do they even? St- this is gonna sound horrible. Do they, they even still make Prell? That's what I was just thinking. That was such a good brand. There were the, <laughs> pre- were they Prell girls or Breck girls? Maybe they were Breck girls. I think Breck girls, but Prell had their but own that, commercial. Yeah, I can't remember. Such it was a big it. thing. And green, right? The, it was Prell. Yep, it was green. Uh-huh. It was a green shampoo. Yeah, you remember? They're still Prell. I don't know. I haven't seen. I only buy. I used to use Denerex because I had a dry skin. I use T gel extra strength. Ooh! I was telling Brian this morning. I um, pulled a muscle in my back shampooing last night. Ooh! You were shampooing your back, or you were yeah. shampooing? Your- <laughs> no, that Brian does that. That's me. <laughs> Brian's got a thing on his wall. He just puts poor shampoo on it and rubs his back. I got a big it. loofah. Yeah. I got a loofah wall. It's very. You can tell when he's washed his back because his shirt like stands off his body because his hair is like all bushy. <laughs> Blow dry. <laughs> Yeah, honey, help me comb a ducktail into this. Yeah. Like, uh, sometimes uh, I put gel in it. Oh. The um, um, Northwestern is not cheap. So how did one? How does one get? Because that's I robbed that's a, a bank. Well, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to say I'm going to Northwestern, but how did you end up? You there? say it's not cheap, but it's actually less than the tuition at Northwestern was less than half what my daughter's preschool tuition was. Oh, we're talking, but there's a little bit of an hundreds of dollars a, a semester. It, it, it was, uh, I think, it was about six thousand a year for tuition. But yeah. let's put okay, but let's put that in perspective. Was just, that, at the time, was that considered a lot of money? I guess no. That's actually um, not. I mean, in the big picture, even back then, that's yeah, not that bad. Tuitions have gone up uh, exponentially. They're, yeah, they're yeah, like a, a lot thousand percent. Than, yeah, I, I went to a commuter, and I think it was, I was six seventy five a semester. 
Six dollars and seventy five cents. Yeah, and I think I went. I, I graduated from UW Milwaukee, and I think the most I paid in a year was like nine something for per semester. Yeah, per uh, semester, state schools in state are were such a great deal. Back yeah, then. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like that anymore. I mean, yeah, like, no. I guess I got to start paying attention yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. All right, so but but again, where was the money coming from to uh, go? I uh, a lot of it came from the money my father squirreled away. Oh, okay. Some of it came from me working. Okay. Um, I paid like room and board with uh, my um, earnings from selling books door to door in the That's summertime. That's right. He was, ah. he was, he was uh, you're meeting a door to door salesman. Hello. Un- unlike one of our previous guests who's who only selling one massager that basically was a dildo or something. <laughs> he got from an old man. He got from an old, old man. Okay Never thought that was weird. When he was nine. Yeah. <laughs> but you were actually selling books. Uh-huh. With somebody I met. Can I hear your pitch? Oh, Patrick. Patrick. Yeah, yeah. I actually met because Peter just got married recently, so I met some of the people that he, you know, from all parts of his life. The guy that you guys used to sell you books know what? together. I, I'm not going to give you a pitch, but I'll tell you Patrick's my favorite um, line that Patrick wrote while we were selling books door to door. You have two sales to make when you sell books door to door. First, you need to sell your way into the house, right? Because a lot of people, when uh, they meet a salesman at the door. They don't want to let him in. No, remember Pee Wee Herman? Second, second one is to, to make the sale. I don't remember him. Um, <laughs> so, hated traveling salesman. So when you're at the door, uh, you get, a lot of times you get objections. I, I don't have time. I'm not interested. My husband's not home. Uh, I don't have any money, whatever. Um, and Patrick had the best answer to the I'm not interested objection. And it's based on a concept we learned early on, which is that a confused customer never buys but they'll always let you in the door so you confuse them to get in the door and then you unconfuse them to make the sale (laughs) so his answer when mrs jones would say i'm not interested would be this and this is full credit to patrick trentanero new york new york um vice president of marketing at usa i don't know his actual title (laughs) um mrs B, b mrs jones say i'm sorry i'm not interested i'm sorry i'm not interested Gosh, Miss Jones, that's great, because I'm especially interested in speaking with interesting people who aren't interested. Do you have a place I can sit down? And then he'd wipe his feet, duck his head, pick up a sample case, and she'd let him in. But that didn't... Okay. I mean, wow. I guess. I guess it's all in the presentation. He's, he seemed like a pretty harmless guy. Here, Both I'm going to take not- my headphone off. John, take yours off. Okay. Okay. You're on the mic. But why would I let... Stand up. Stand up. Stand oh. Up. But why would I let you in, though? No, no, no. We're not on Periscope right now. I know. It doesn't matter. You're watching. We're not Facebook Live. We're not on YouTube. You're watching on behalf of everyone. Okay. Okay. Peter's talking to John. I'm not interested. John just said he's not interested. Gosh, Miss Jones, that's great. Peter's smiling. He's got a really making good eye contact and he's smiling. He's moving. It's all one it's all one fluid thing. He's actually pushing the woman out of the way who politely pushed her. But then yeah, it seems like it was a polite it was a, there was a, there was a little bit of physical um some barging that's, that's done. Called, yeah, okay. So that's called being assumptive. You're that's assuming you're going to get yeah. in. Yeah. She's not going to say no cuz you've already started moving. It becomes he's creating an awkward situation basically. Yep, yep, what I just yep, saw yep, from you is there once you start walking towards someone it becomes physical and she's not going to try friend. to push you did mm-hmm. you but he had a he had to have at least been pushed back at least once or twice it didn't always work yeah, yeah no not okay, always okay. but it doesn't have to always it just what enough. were you guys selling we sold webster's student handbooks we sold the home adventure library which was co-written by james Ertel, formerly of sesame street we sold bible storybooks we sold another bible reference book we sold the uh encyclopedia of american cooking 
What about the 5, Britannica? recipes for 50. What's that? What about the Britannica? No. A different company all together. Now, what did you, your sample case was just the book, one book of each, and then. Did you also. It was uh, the actual Webster student handbooks and then sample books of the other stuff because we couldn't carry that. No, yeah, I'm going to say that's a lot of books. You, you must, <laughs> do you, and I'm assuming this is oh, back then. You must have got some bogus checks, too, just to get you out of the house, right? Yeah, they would yeah, yeah, write, yeah, write yeah, a check. Yeah, 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 yeah sure, I'll tell you about this. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, okay. Now, did that. I'll buy 10 billion copies. Do you think that that. Doing something like that though really helps you, especially in stand up, because you're dealing with it's one on one, but it's an uncomfortable situation because mm-hmm. it's a form of sales. And I've, I came out of sales, and I think a big part of that is how you deal with people. And it's like it doesn't that one on one to me I'll, I'll, is far more whole, difficult. That's all sales is, is how you deal with people. You know I'm saying, but that was more difficult for me. Than it is to walk to stand up in front of ground. You still have to not have a fear of being in front of large crowds. Sure. But I did. It, r- large crowds never bothered me as much as how hard it was to focus on those one on ones. Yeah, I, and dealing I, with that rejection. I, um, it's like stand up when you've got eight people in the audience. You it's have to so connect. much more intimidating than when if you have a thousand. Yeah, if you have a thousand, it's like a gift. It's going to be the easiest show in the world. Yeah, so I, the, the, the smaller. And even if even if the whole thousand isn't even on your side, it still doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, like, you, know, you have to connect. You have to connect with that audience, and you have to hope they connect with you. And that's the same thing with like a a one on one kind of pitch or a sale. Last question: We'll move from this. Did you guys ever have to run from a house? Um, I had. I when I was my first summer in Minnesota, I ran from town to town. I got literally got kicked out of <laughs> um, White Bear Lake, New Bern, Maple Grove, Edina, <laughs> Hopkins, Coon Rapids. I know Hopkins, um, Anoka. Uh, but so why? Many towns. When you say you got kicked out, like people would be like, they'd report me to the police, and then the police would chase after me. <laughs> I'd be ducking through people's backyard to try to get two more sales in before I got the boot. Now, how did you end up in so many different places, though? I don't understand. Like, how and do you become the, a traveling salesman but versus also, doing it? It, you, it, I, uh, no, we would go for a whole summer to one but how, metro area so, or so whatever. So are you reading the back of a magazine ad and finding out about these companies? And they say, but in order to do it, you've got to move to Minnesota for the summer? I don't understand. It, it, I saw a... Um, and why didn't you just uh, buy sea monkeys and There was a flyer like in me. the student union that said, um, uh, I don't remember the exact text, but it was something like... Um, uh, summer job, travel, see the com- country, earn up to $3,000, asterisk. And <laughs> you will never a, earn $3,000. <laughs> there was something, you know, some small points of the asterisk, which I didn't get read. But then I pulled the, the number, you know how they, they cut, cut, cut on the yeah, bottom, yeah, yeah, so you yeah. pull off the number, and I called um, uh, Rod Cassavant, who was... Uh, uh, um, a district Sig- salesman. No, he was a, a graduate student. Oh, it was an Amway frat. thing. Yeah, yeah, and then so he interviewed us on the ping pong table in the basement of this frat <laughs> house and told us about the great opportunities we'd be getting. So, what was his kickback? Um, I, I think it was like two percent or something. Okay. I don't remember exactly, but I became him eventually. I was a you did manager. That's how Patrick got in. I swindled him into doing it for a summer. Did you actually make a decent amount of money? Um, yes, when things were going well, um, I did pretty well. Oh, okay. But then there was the summer when I had the two collapsed lungs. Um, that Oof. summer wasn't very profitable. That was, and okay, so let's, you used to, and, and did, I can't remember this one. I think if I remember your, correct, your story correctly, you were a riverboat uh, casino dealer, correct? And that's when you got I was, sick? I worked on the what? Mississippi Queen, um, but it was not, I wasn't a casino BTO dealer. wrote a song about you. Okay, so what did you do on the, what What, what was that job? It was, well, uh, I started as a waiter, and then I became a, like a wine steward, and 
Okay. I don't know, but it was a why. gambling boat or something? No, they didn't gamble oh, they on didn't it gamble. back then. Okay. That was before the whole um, wave of states trying casinos. to raise money by gambling. And But that's when you got, is that when you got sick, right? Uh, was it on the boat? No. It wasn't you, on the boat. Wait, which sickness are you talking the about? The lungs. Two collapsed several. lungs? No, that was selling books. Oh, okay. Once in it the was, summer in Ohio and once in the fall in Tennessee. Okay. I like how it was Minnesota that was like, there's somebody selling books in Get the neighborhood. Get him out of town. Get yeah. this guy out of here before like, we all learn to read. It's like The Incredible Hulk, but not. Right? David Banner always had to keep going, but at least he solved the crime while he was there. You were the crime. wagon full of books behind you. Minnesota was the one where I had a cast, a walking cast on my leg for six weeks. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a great, perfect job for you. Are you accident prone? Are you always getting injured? I had Achilles tendonitis. Um, I had a, a, a track coach in high school. Before our good coach, I had a great track coach my last two years. But the first year, I had one who didn't know about running, and I had Achilles tendonitis. And he was a former football coach. Walking and off, he told pussy. me. Yeah. He, he said, "Peter, you got to run through the pain." So I just kept running until it <laughs> got really bad. Yeah, the classic rub a little dirt on it. My uh, uh, summer of of Minnesota, that Achilles tendonitis turned into. Um, a cast on my leg, but you didn't have to put good any, story. any say, casts say on your cool, lungs. Say cool story, bro. Cool story, man. Cool story, yeah. bro. A little more sarcasm. Cool, cool story, story, bro. Hey, um, uh, you also, by the way, this is what I where I envy the two of you. You are you're Our also no no you you guys have music in your blood. Like you can play guitar. Uh-huh. I know that you play piano mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. keyboards. And did you not play? Did you play piano for a while on the riverboat as well? No, uh, mm-hmm. not on purpose. I mean, not, <laughs> not for money. I fell into one one time and made some noise. But you were allowed to. Yeah, play. there was a there was a grand piano in the main would dining pe- room. Would you do it by yourself or were people I, in the room and you you tickled the ivories? I would um, back then. I'd do a little trick. Uh, my motto on the boat was "Be funny, make money." If you made made the passengers laugh while they're you're serving them, that's the, good. Their, um, oysters they on the half you. shell, they tip you better. Okay. Um, so I would play the piano with my nose, and that would make them laugh. In, in between so, serving them, yeah. Okay, because where was the pianist during this time? Or they didn't have somebody that played all the time. Um, uh, they didn't for breakfast and lunch. Oh, we'd okay. we'd serve six meals a day. Okay, uh, it was it was a horrible job. It How was old were Thirteen you hours a day, six Good six Lord. weeks straight, seven days a week. This was, was post- like this was like twenty. I was twenty five. Okay, this maybe. is post college. Yeah, post college. Okay, so you went to Northwestern, and did you stay and get a degree and all that stuff? No, I dropped out after my second junior year. Okay, <laughs> and what were you there for? I was studying theater originally, and then I thought um, that's impractical, so I switched my major to communication studies, um, and then I realized, now I want to be an actor and a stand-up, and then I realized um, I don't need a degree for this, and I'm uh, in debt, so I'm going to do other things. And it's interesting, because you were in Chicago, and you know there was comedy, and there was improv, because there's Second City. I don't yeah. know. There was an improv back then, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah, still in town. Yeah, a big thing there. But you did, not, you did not decide to try any open mics in well, Chicago? Well, I was uh, um, wrapped up with uh, my book-selling cult and <laughs> trying to recruit students to, to sell with me. And then I ended up in Louisiana uh, for my fourth summer, and that's when I decided I just got to make money and get out of debt and move to L.A. And so then I moved to New Orleans, which is where the riverboat thing happened and okay. other, other things. So you do the riverboat that stuff. That was my third uh, hospital stay. Um, what happened well, in yeah, New Orleans? Yeah, what was that one? That one was from uh, getting hit in the head with a tire iron when someone wanted my uh, $13 check from the restaurant I worked in. Ugh. 
this, they, I'm assuming they fractured your skull when you get hit with a tire iron. Um, they, uh, they gave me a concussion, and I had a ringing in my ear for a year, and dizzy spells anytime I tried to move too quickly. But uh, no break. Can I ask you a question? Would you, when they said, "Can I have your thirteen dollars?" Would you have been like, "Absolutely, here's my fucking thirteen dollars"? Or yep. were you looking for a fight? I was not even aware that someone was behind oh, me with a okay. tire. They didn't iron ask until that ringing. <laughs> okay, happened. I gave them too much credit that they actually had a conversation yeah. with you. This was that you were just jumped, basically. Yeah, but I was okay. always a fighter. I wouldn't have given it to them. You wouldn't have. Nope. Oh, okay. Um, Kenny Watson in uh, eighth grade wanted my Campanolo hat and. I told him no, even though uh, he had a threatening demeanor and a reputation. <laughs> and um, uh, he punched me, and I still didn't give him his hat. I should have punched him back, but I didn't. Well, he's lucky. But I, it sounds I never, like you have an iron fist. Never. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, tougher than you think. You, uh, let's, let's just jump around here a lot. So you did make reference to the fact that you went to school with somebody um, that ended up being out here as well, Clark uh, Gregg. Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. still keep in contact with him? From time yeah, to time? sometimes he's like the successful version of me. He, uh, so he is. What is so in your school? He's the guy. Uh, uh, well, there are a few few guys and, that they're and out here. Um, that you went to school with? Uh, uh, they're mostly in New York. Oh, okay, but, yeah, there's a few. Interesting. So, there, so you brought. You I brought was a few. on a series called Benched, and one of the writers on the who's now a writer on Blackish. Okay, is from my hometown. They're, they're not Michaela. No. Okay. Bench was uh, USA. Uh, yeah. 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 Michaela, Michaela Watkins. I don't know if you're familiar show. with who Michaela is. Uh, Michaela Watkins. Show, yeah. 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 How, how do I know that name? How do I know that name? She was on, she was short on SNL. SNL She's on That's now it. the star of Casual. She's an amazing actress. Oh, no. Writer. Yeah, Michaela Watkins. Was, Dude, uh, Casual. I love, yeah, I love Casual. Great show. It was great. Yeah, she's fantastic. And uh, I hear the second season. I haven't seen the second season yet, but I hear um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Also. Well, the second is not out yet, is it? No. No, it's coming out though. Yeah. yeah cool. And cool. during your tenure in uh, Northwestern, anybody that you went to school with during that time that ended up making their way out here and doing anything for themselves? Um, you might have heard of Julia Louis Dreyfus. No. I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, there was someone on SNL a couple of weeks back who was like hosting no. or something. She, she did like a, a character. Did she have a Netflix Elaine? special or anything like that? Back or? then, they were all. Uh, her husband Brad Hall went to. Northwestern and a guy named Gary Kroger, um, all three of them ended up on SNL. And yeah. there's always been like a Northwestern SNL connection. Like Seth Meyers went to Northwestern. Did and, they go and, to Second City as well at the same time? Yeah, Is that kind it of was a thing? Like Second City, or back then there was a place called the Practical Theater Company. There, there was always back then Chicago was the place for improv. Well, but see, this is the thing is even though you're a stand up, you're really good at improv. So it's interesting to me no. that never really, no. you, you, but did, not were you not, did you know improv. about that stuff and you chose yeah, not I to do it? I wanted to do it. Oh, I, okay. I, my initial plan was to go, when I got out of debt, go back to Chicago, do Second City, oh, okay. and then move to LA. And then I remembered that I don't like winter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You experience the actual Windy City, which my wife, every time I take her there, she never gets it. And she's like, I don't understand why you say this. It's so so nice. It's so nice. She's always getting the Perry Como like flakes come down and there's no wind. Yeah. And I'm like, you just, but you have to, when, if you experience the other stuff, it can be miserable. It can just be so depressing. The humidity in the summer and the wind chill in the winter is enough to go like, I love Southern California. There's uh, two nice weeks in the fall and two nice weeks in the spring. In the spring, when it gets to be like, 47 degrees and partial sunshine. Everyone runs out with shorts. Flip flop. Like, woo, 
Let's go to the like beach and so play volleyball. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the dead alewives. Do you know about the dead alewives? A lot of people don't know. About uh, the dead we just alewives. actually Jeff Castellas, our last guest, just brought them up. They're, they're, yeah, the they band, were from right? Milwaukee. I, I, um, I. Mm, you don't know about the dead alewives, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Do you know what they're named for? Wait, no, you're talking about the fish, not the actual. Yeah, sorry, the sorry. I thought we were talking thought, about the improv group from Milwaukee. Oh, I thought they were a band. They're, no, they're no, they're an improv group from uh, Dan Harmon. Oh, the whole Dan Harmon. Oh, oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, the, yes, I do. It, it's oh yes, yeah, yeah. It's, you you know, they're like, like the, fish the, that, the d- mayflies of fish. Uh, Every they spring they wash ashore. Oh, the oh. smell, Stink. the smell. Yeah. The smell of uh, of the lake Dead that everybody fish. hates. Yeah, yeah, I used to get that when I where I grew up in Racine. The whole lakefront was just. You'd be like, oh, let's go down by the. Blah. Oh boy, yeah, it's just a, a, just death. The seagulls loved it. Yeah, true. So that was good. Great, because those are fun. So, um, so you, so you went to, so at Northwestern, you went to school with Julie Dreyfus, or she was just there at the same time. Um, as uh, we went to school. We had a mutual friend. There was a guy named Mark Lancaster, who's who's amazing, just brilliant improviser actor. And he was kind of a good friend of mine because his uh, girlfriend at the time was a very good friend of mine, and he was good friends with Julia, so we'd be at parties and okay. talk to her. But she probably couldn't pick me out of a police lineup. No, that's now. fine. I, but I'm, I'll ask you the million dollar question with some of these people that you've been around. Um, could you but tell back then that any of them were that yeah, had a, that, that you're like, oh, this person's got a quality that I think I could see them, or is that just kind of bullshit that people say? Um, I think I assume nobody would be successful. Okay. Uh, most, <laughs> least of all myself <laughs> right. at that time. Opposite, but I mean, like, there were people in my acting class like uh, uh, Dennis O'Hare, who I don't know if you recognize that name. He uh, works name all the time. Um, uh, there are people who just had that con- both the passion where they just knew they were going to be actors and they just dived in head first and um had that confidence and and um and of course he became a very very successful actor yeah. and i was the guy who thought uh, partly because it was drilled into me as a kid um uh, this is never going to work. I'm never going to make it. What am I doing with myself? Mm-hmm. So that was the the yin to their yang. Well, welcome to Hollywood Anonymous yeah. again, Peter. I like why, to... why do you say that was drilled into your head as a kid? Just because... Um, I think uh, uh, my parents didn't think that was a practical... Uh, I, I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with my parents when it came to like talking about anything beyond separating my whites from my middles. Um, right. when I put my clothes in the hall on laundry day. Um, so I, I decided in about maybe ninth or 10th grade, I'm going to be an actor. And, and I chose what school to apply to based on that. And I got into the school and then there was a dinner party my parents had. And one of their guests said, um, uh, where, where are you going, Peter? I said, Northwestern. He said, what are you going to study? And I said, theater. And that was the first time my parents heard that I wanted to be an actor. And my mother's response is, you're not going in a theater, are you? Um, that, that was and, it? And so, so I got the the message from her, which, I mean, I got it several ways, that that's not a practical choice. That's not something that's realistic. So they were, they were never behind it? or? Well, I, I mean, I guess they supported it in the sense that I they let me do all these plays. Um, and then my father, I think, came around eventually. But um, uh, it, it was also a, a time when I think it was less um, okay to be behind impractical things like that. Yeah. But, I mean, they also support... My little brother became a drummer, um, and they bought him a drum set when he was in 
seventh grade or they something. They encouraged it. They didn't yeah, try to be like, no, yeah. music so in they, the house. They did support the arts. My mother was an artist, and they, uh, uh, I, it was, you know, a mixed bag. We got a lot of support in some ways, yeah. but then, like most kids, we got not as much. In okay, so your mom was an artist. Do you think a part of it comes from That's, realizing, yeah, struggling listen, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not, the, the means to an end is so difficult. The, the odds are, again, it's like saying, I want to be a professional basketball player, and they kind of go, I love you. But, but man, you are three feet tall, man. Yeah. There is absolutely do you think no any of that way. had to do with it. Some of it had to do with that. I think it had more to do with them growing up in the depression. Okay, and, and just go get it. Real just be like, be you safe. need be to safe. be. You need financial security. Yeah. You need a check coming sense. in every week. Sense. You need a. I, I got to be honest. My brother was a drummer. I'm always amazed at any parent that is going to brother? bring yes to bring that into the house <laughs> uh, oh, because they they i mean when you're playing the drums there's oh, not there is no sound person that shit is that fucking ever, loud and this is the drums are cool but when there's no music with them and when they're not good <laughs> and when the kid is just learning dude it's... my brother was amazing at the drums and it was still annoying because it just the whole house was drums while he was doing imagine the person that's next to you in the car that's listening to something you don't want to listen to and it is so loud that it's shaking their car mm-hmm. and you have to stop doing what you're doing until they pass you because it's just the mashup's not working, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's what it's like with drums in the house. You're after, not hearing the foreigner song he's playing to. Or, no, you, you know, can't hear what he's listening no, yeah. to as he plays. Yeah, after as he's a while, Van Halen yeah. over and over and over again. After a while, a paradiddle doesn't have, hold the <laughs> same interest that it did the first time <laughs> no, through. Yeah. No. My brother and I shared a room, so not only were drums in the house, drums <laughs> took room. up our right whole next room. To you. We had the drum set and we had a, a Nerf hoop on the closet door, and basically there was no more floor space. <laughs> And, um, so the uh, our room constantly smelled like uh, you know teenage sweat yeah. from our Nerf hoop games. And, and it sounded like the drums. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to get into my two boys. But the we did not have a fair poster on the wall. You had a what, fair, You had the fair poster. Yep, yep. We had the fair poster at our house too. But the funny thing is, is my dad. I know, to, for whatever my dad was doing in the business at that time, he was in some form of print. That he got a hold of one of those and he brought it home and it was really weird to get it from your father through. But he, the funny thing is, he brought it home, but he gave it to my sisters, not us. Yeah. So technically, it was my sisters, and I can understand his theory here. It's like yeah. I can't give this salacious poster right. to my boys, but they can look at it in their sisters' room. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you, um, so you decide while you're on the riverboat that you're moving west at this point. I, I think I decided um, when I got, when I dropped out of college after my second junior year. I'll say that again because it's always fun. It is good. Good. You um, double down on a uh, year. That, That's good. Uh, I, I decide, uh, at that point, I thought my mindset was I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to go back to Chicago, do Second City for a little bit, and then go to L.A. Okay. And then somewhere along the way, I decided, okay, I'm just going to cut out. Chicago and go right to LA. Okay, With, then, did you know anybody out there at the time? Did um, any of these people? I, that you my were- my roommate from college was a guy named Eric Gilliland who became a very successful showrunner. He okay. showrun Roseanne and um, other shows. Um, but at this time, uh, what was he doing? When you call, you make the phone call, the collect call to him, saying well, I'm coming out. Yeah, yeah no. Um, he he got within about a year. He lived with uh, a guy named Dermot Mulroney, who's <laughs> oh, yeah. actor, yeah. Um, who was also at Northwestern. Um, uh, they were frat brothers, and they both lived out here. And within a year, Dermot was with William, William Morris and getting regular acting work, including like movie of the week stuff. And Eric had a writing job, so they became successes. Okay, pretty quick, very quickly. Wow, that's um, great. But Eric's a brilliant writer; he's one of the funniest people I know. Um, uh, 
and Dermot always plays the person, same person. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, which I don't, I don't think is his fault. I've, I remember him. Uh, is, do you remember is he the movie? Paid? Is he getting paid? Yeah, he is. Is uh, he, got, is he uh, paying his mortgage? Getting yeah. paid. Okay. I remember him. And do you remember the movie about Schmidt? Yes. I loved him in that. It's because they let him play something that wasn't the same. It wasn't. Like, it wasn't him. They didn't bring him in. Yeah, yeah, it was him. Yeah, yeah. He was so. He's such a talented actor, and he was. He did improv in college, and he's so funny. And um, I think, like all of us, he gets kind of buttonholed with. This is these are the roles. It's, ha- it's hard because there's a paycheck attached to that all the yeah. time. I mean, imagine like I, I use Frank Caliendo as an example. The guy makes his whole career. The reason why he started out here was because he does impressions. Well, imagine a day if you ever came in and you were like, I just want to do, um, I'm just going to do straight acting or I'm just going to do straight jokes now. And people are like, well, no, 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 hold, no, no, no. Oh, so you're doing an impression a of a straight joke? I don't understand. Well, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a, that would be a hard thing. I think they pigeonhole you. It's easier, as you know, in this business to go, no, no, you're just going to be this guy because that's easier for all of us. So when we need you, and and the thing is, at first you go no because you feel that that's limiting, and then uh, on the flip side is all this work comes in because they've pigeonholed you, so you're kind of trapped, right? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I w- I, w- I don't feel sorry for him. He's yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not like oh, all right, so, you, so, so so you couch crashed with them. So no, I did not. I thought I, I I'm just telling you who was here, who <laughs> oh, I knew. Oh, okay, but then uh, as I was after I spent a year on the riverboat, I spent. <laughs> a year in New Orleans selling water conditioning equipment door to door, and then my my seventy two Vega um, blew yet another head gasket, and I decided I need a job that doesn't require a car. So you took out so the monkey I, wrench that the guy hit you in the head with, fixed so, your tires. Y- no, then oh, I started okay. working at a restaurant in the French Quarter for a year, and then I got the concussion, and I decided I want to work uh, somewhere where there aren't aren't um, criminals um, uh, stalking me all the time. Right. And I worked on the riverboat for a year. And then I was out of debt, and I'd saved up some money, and I was going to move to L.A., and my dad called, and he asked me if I wanted to come home and help him build a barn. So I went home, theoretically, for you know three months to help him frame the barn and, and build it, and then I forgot that he's involved in all his different causes and not building most of the time, so I ended <laughs> so up building you built a, barn. <laughs> a lot of it. And then I started doing carpentry work and working as a mechanic. and um, Self-taught. This is all self-taught? Uh, I I worked with, I started working with a couple of contractors, and I learned a lot about framing and and uh, finished carpentry from sure, them. Sure, of course. So if we got piano, um, finished carpentry, mm-hmm. um, fixing cars. Uh, I know you work on bicycles. Um, so that this is all this is all great stuff. I'm feeling better and better by the moment. Selling books. You're selling. Well, yeah. I'll, 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 <laughs> and then I got married, and then we moved out. So yeah. there was a little. You got married to somebody back home. Yeah. Okay. Um. And no offense to this person, but we won't dabble too much into that. We'll just focus on on your your journey. So you actually, you guys moved out here together, and you found a place together. Obviously, you wouldn't want to couch crash you and your wife couch crashing with somebody. So yeah. you actually were always self-sufficient the minute you hit dry land here. Where did you move to when you got out here? Uh, West L.A., West which LA. Uh, you've been to that's, my... That's it. I moved to the house next door to that house first, and okay. then it got sold, so we had to move to the. So house that's next it. Door. I've seen. I've seen <laughs> everywhere you've like lived. Obviously, seen, uh, everywhere except for everywhere. the very first house. But which, which is, was, well, I saw was, it. Yeah, you saw door. it. You just yeah. didn't go inside. It's in. It's in Super Precinct, right? It would be in it the background was, of Super Precinct. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, uh, we lived in there for a year. It was a uh, two bedroom, nice house with a giant avocado tree in the backyard. It was uh, ten fifty a month, believe it or not, <laughs> to rent. Back then, that still sounds expensive. And then they decided to sell it, and they wanted, uh, I think it was one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for it. You're like, and I thought, Uh, are you out of your fucking uh, mind? Who pays one hundred seventy-five thousand for a house? 
and I could have bought it, but yeah. <laughs> I wasn't stupid. <laughs> so we because it's a only probably house. worth about what nine now. I, it sold again, and uh, I think um, it was like two thousand and seven or something for uh, yeah for something like that. That's because uh, that's a nice that's a nice area. Yeah. Which is interesting that you found that, that you found a place that you were thinking, I'm not going to rent. I'm always interested in people that like, um, um, uh, uh, where you, where you, you either move into an apartment or you, I, I, the whole concept of renting a house never really registered with me until I moved out here. And even, and it took me so long, even after being out here, renting a house. I mean, you rent apartments. That's what you do. You don't oh, rent you houses. Did, you didn't rent houses in I college. Ne- and stuff, no, huh? no, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's like the fact that you were like, well, we'll go find a house to rent. I mean, even though you were married, it's like, I, I still would have thought, you know, you I have to live rent in an, an apartment. apartment. Yeah. yeah. I needed a garage to put all my tools in and that kind so of You thing knew you needed the space. You were yeah. coming out here with all your shit. So it was yeah. like, we got to, so you hit, so you hit dry land. Uh, sorry to speed up. I just want to make sure we cover everything before you got to go. So you, you hit, you hit land and, and now what? I mean, you're like going, I'm, I'm what an actor. I'm going to be an I'm actor. A, what, and I, I, uh, my wife was going to nursing school. Okay. Um, uh, she started out here, right? She started, well, she'd gone to, she went to UNC and then she got a, uh, finished her classwork for a master's in art history and found out that, um, there aren't a lot of jobs in that field. So then, Boom. When we moved out here, she went to uh, took a few math and science courses, and then went to nursing school. Um, so I found a job uh, eventually working at this bike company in Carson um, uh, as a, a buyer. So again, so, so you you, st- you took some practical work in the meantime. But how does that? But, then, but you're doing that though. That's the, where's the flexibility? I, I, I would I made a deal with them that as long as I worked, you know, eight ten hours a day. I could leave for an audition. And so I'd get an audition. Um, then I was the border of Carson and Compton, like the next street over was Compton. It was 20 miles south, basically. Um, I'd get an audition, drive an hour to the valley, um, you know, uh, audition for whatever, this garden.com or whatever, drive an hour back to um, work. And some days I'd get to work at 8.30 in the morning and leave at 11 at night because I You're had two auditions. Yeah. And that How was did, the only way to get it and, done. But here's the thing. I think this is important to a lot of people that listen to the show that are not in L.A. And we know that there are many that are probably someday hoping they can get out here is um, you still have to get an agent. You still have to get that commercial agent. So you come out here and, yeah, you've got a couple years of, of theater from Northwestern under your belt. I mean, did you call in some favors? Like, how were you able to kind of, like, build that part to even get on the auditions? Yeah, I didn't do that right away. I, I decided I wanted to learn stand-up, so I started doing open mics. Okay, and, where was your first um, open mic? Uh, there was a place called Pedersen's, which was a coffee house in Culver City, okay. which no longer exists. Yeah. Um, uh, and so many great people did. I was lucky because, uh, you know, uh, um, Maria Bamford and Bill Dwyer and all, all these amazing comics who were, you know, kind of learning the ropes at that time. This but is when? About this ish. is 94 was okay. when I started. Um, I had so many great uh, people to model my comedy after. I, would, I, I learned as much from sitting in the room for three hours watching these comics and breaking down how they wrote jokes and bits um, as I did going on stage. And I made a, a decision in that first year to not do the same stuff night after night. Okay. I kept trying to write new stuff and try new stuff. And if I didn't write um, a set um, by the time I got on stage, I would try to just riff for seven minutes. And it, 
it was it was very hard, but it taught me a lot. And then after that first year, I started trying to hone a set. Okay. So then, then did your writing process change after that first year? Were you more like, okay, now I can work on jokes, and I know that even though I'm doing, well, you might be doing the same set or seemingly the same jokes night after night, but you're, you know, either adding to those jokes or changing the order or working with that set to get yourself a chunk that you can then add another chunk yeah. to. You know what I mean? You get like that solid 10 and then you add another solid 10. And My bu- comedy buddies at that time, two of them were a guy named Kevin Ruff, who was a groundling, um, and uh, Eric Griffin, um, who you may yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eric's great. We would go to these open mics and tape ourselves with our cassette tapes. I don't know if <laughs> yep. young kids know what a cassette <laughs> Are those is. mini cassettes? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then... And then afterwards, we'd do a postmortem. We'd go to a, you know, a Norm's restaurant or something and, and um, talk about why our sets did well or didn't do well and try to figure out, you know. Yeah, those are the fun days of But, the, but that's what I'm saying. That, that, those... Dissecting of it. You know, I don't know. It's, to me, I, I get a little warm and fuzzy inside when I hear you talk about it. Yeah, because that's like that. the bad. I mean, no matter like, what happens, I'm sure you and Eric don't talk all the time, but like, you still, you're always going to remember that, like sitting around just when you, were, when you really still like you were still absorbing it all. You yes. know what I mean? And it was still really exciting to talk about and really fun. And I'm not saying it's not still fun or exciting to talk about. I'm saying that a lot of times the conversation isn't as chipper or as upbeat as it was. You know well, what I mean? No, you go 15, 20 out. years in, it's a different, it's a yeah. different idea. You're a yeah. little bit more disillusioned by it, but you're, so there, I would consider what you, because obviously that this is how you and I met. I would consider you a crossover comic. And what I mean by that is that, you are very well known in, and always have been very well known in the alternative comedy scene, which is something that I have no f- foot, I never had my foot in that. And you're also very well known in just the traditional stand-up comedy scene. Which he well, also which doesn't very, have his foot yeah, in. Yeah, I don't have my foot in it. But, <laughs> um, but it... <laughs> Oh, uh, you got your feet free. To do got, yeah, yeah. He, he can go yeah. running, but he doesn't yeah. do that yeah, either. Do he that doesn't either. do that either. Feet in nothing um, except the presidency. The um, uh, oh, PTA. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're aware of the... So I mean, and that that to me was was pretty impressive that you were they, you were able to cross over. But you you kind of touched on it. But I mean, the people that you that group of people. I mean, there's a ton of other people that you started out with. I mean, that you 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 went into that scene at a time that I think has made a huge impact now as to what I guess they'd all consider. I don't, I don't want to say the not the grandfathers of of that scene, but you know what I'm saying. It's like that. I'm guessing you know Zach. Obviously, we know Zach was was Zach a part of that scene. Yeah. Jack Galifianakis, Sarah Silverman. Uh, yeah, she extent. was more tangential. Okay, um, but but Patton, Patton, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Larry uh, David, uh, Larry, not so much. Not so much. Because uh, okay. he, he did, came from New York. He did, so yeah, he, he was he already did. he'd already done. Center but he was around. He was, he would, when he, he did stuff, he would do it within your group, right? He performed in our hookah bar yeah. a yes. couple of times. You ran a hookah. Uh, that's the first time I met him. By the way, I saw this little skinny fella uh, grabbing his uh, grabbing his keyboard uh, out of out of the place, and I was Tom Clark. I was a Tom Clark. I'm like. What is that guy doing with all that stuff right now? Because you just, what I determined was like he's carrying too much stuff. He looks flustered and he's exhausted. Why? Why? Why do people do this? Put put all this into stand up? And he's like, oh, Peter. Oh, Peter's a good guy. He's he he runs that show. He plays keyboard on the side of the show. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's crazy shit to me. Just go up there do stand up. You're too much energy, putting too much time and energy into it. But yeah, I mean, you. I guess I'm just saying in in the in the big picture though, you were, you were around a quite a that 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 you know if you look back on it now, that's. That's yeah, a pretty yeah, big it scene. Yeah, great. Uh, it, uh, there, it was a great group of people to learn from. Yeah, um, uh, and I'm sure like people starting out now uh, will look back in 20 years and and think, oh wow, I start out with these people who were all 
Yeah, no, but I mean, think about this, yeah. Peter. Like, I, I can, and I, this is not a slight against everybody that I started with in the open mics that I did, but you know, most of us haven't really. Like, you, you, I named a lot of people that anybody in Iowa know those names. I can name the same people of the group that I started with, and nobody in Iowa would know those names. So, but they, will, I think they would have seen them or know about who they would recognize the face, but they wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, that's a household name, or oh, so so Not to the extent of what he was involved in. I'm right, saying it was right, a unique right. scene that you were involved in, and that, and I think that those those can be anomalies per se. Like, not every scene's going to have that. So that, that in itself is kind of cool that you got to be a part of that scene, I guess. What I'm yeah, saying. and it was kind of random. It just happened to be an open mic near where I live. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And so you were not out seeking a certain style of comedy? N- no, and okay. I, I don't consider myself to be really an alternative comic. Um, I, I love great alternative comedy, mm-hmm. but I've always... Um, what I think my style is and what I'm capable of is, is I like structure and I like the way a well-cracked crafted joke and um, uh, th- those were the comics I really tried to break apart their jokes there was okay. a guy named Dino Londis <coughs> um, lives in New Jersey now but he, I don't think he ever became much of a name but he was an amazing joke writer and I would think okay how did he write this joke why Why does it work why does it why does it and I would try to write jokes like he wrote um, so I think there are a lot of comics. Uh, Bill Dwyer is a great joke writer, and he did a lot of the alternative rooms. He's, I don't consider him to be an alternative comic. He's a, just a great comic. Yeah. And if if you're a great comic and you're funny and you're not offensive to the alternative rooms, you can work in the alternative rooms. But you don't have to, you know, talk about what you did today. And some people, you know, <coughs> Greg, right. Greg Barrett or Paul F. Tompkins or some of those guys spin what happened four hours ago into something brilliant a lot of times mm-hmm. and I can't do that like they do it. It's a, well, it's a different style. It's yeah. just a different style how your brain works. The um, I, I will say that Peter Peter gave said one of the, some of the wisest words to me ever in this in this business and I and it, I remember we were we were working in the, in the belly room we were running the show and I and it was it, it it comes that time every year where everyone's showcasing for something and every year people are showcasing for Montreal and they, everybody believes that this is a game changer for them. Well, and it's okay then, to believe. It's okay to then, believe. Back then, it was a was a game changer for people. Well, I'll have Mick. I'll some, have Mick explain for, for some. Yep. Oh, yeah, wow. for chicken. So, um, yeah. But you know, but then and then there's the postmortem, right? Where everybody comes back and they use that as their credit of like, just came back from Montreal. Shit's about to blow. And I just remember Peter going, just quietly sitting back. You know, while somebody's on stage and he just just whispers to me, "I, I did Montreal once." So let's all just calm down. I'm yeah. like, okay, got it, because I didn't even know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what he's saying is like, he wasn't. You weren't saying it in a bitter way. You were just like, I'm not going to embarrass these people for all their bragging. But like, it reality is that it's not. You don't get, don't put it so high up on there that once when, you get it, when? everybody's just the, the carpets rolled out, and here we go. Yeah. Was, well, uh, it, they, it, you, you weren't kidding about the chicken thing. Chicken was it was it was a game breaker within this business, correct? He uh, there was a comic named Chicken who got like a half million dollar development deal off five of Montreal, minutes of material. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, in the 80s, being on uh, Carson could be a game changer. 
and now those things aren't anymore. No. You do the late night TV shows. Both of you have done late Nobody night. cares. No, I've never um, done late night. I thought you did. No. <laughs> okay, you have. Yeah, and then in the 90s, like Montreal sometimes was a game changer, or Aspen. Um, right. And then that's not so much the case anymore. And And I think, now there's not a game changer. There's a build your brand. Build you your do, brand, yes. Yeah. You do your videos and your podcast and whatever. And I don't have the energy to do that. No, I mean, I, I think it. What, what you say that, and it's kind of sad though. It's like you put all this time in, and then they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what's your Twitter account?" It's like, "Oh, come on." Yeah. yeah. You know, like I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like. If I was to compare it to like what my wife does as a lawyer, it's like she puts in the time, and as she puts in more time, she be goes higher up the ranks, and you get paid more money, and they pay attention to what you do, and there's there's these these scales that you you are judged against, and 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 that's how you obtain more. We don't have that. Something new could come and literally pull the carpet out, out from underneath yeah. everything you've developed, and it becomes moot. Like I have my my YouTube page, and and I'll let you follow this up, Peter, but my YouTube page has 25 million views on it. And some people go, wow, that's amazing because they've never even gotten that. And I said, no, it's not. They, the, the, my 25 million means nothing. A billion is what they're looking for now. And that's ridiculous. Imagine like, if your wife was up for partner and um, she's head and shoulders the most qualified person to be partner and new partner in her firm. And then they bring her in. She's all excited. And they're like... Um, you don't really have enough Twitter followers. <laughs> yeah, we looked at your social media accounts. Yeah. So you clearly you're not that talented at what so you So we're going to bring in this 13-year-old. She's going to take your spot. <laughs> She's going to do litigation. Yeah, you know. you're going to be her assistant. Is that going to be a problem? Um, listen, it does have an impact. I think it has an impact with Trump. I mean, I think it has an impact on anything. The, guy, the guy's got direct contact with people, which is politicians never really did that before. And it, you think it hurts him, but it doesn't. The Twitter thing does have an impact. But again... It, it only can take you so far. Like, you still have to have substance. You still have to back what you're doing at some point. You can, you can use your Twitter following, and you can pack a room once. But if you can't do anything in front of that packed room, you're going to lose them. Yeah. So it, but it loses its impact at some point. Or, you know, I, I, and this is no slam against this guy, but do you remember um, uh, Shit My Dad Says? Remember that was all the rage for a second on Twitter? Yeah. He's one of the first Twitter success stories. They made a TV with, show about with it. With William Shatner. They, you know, it actually turned into something. But, you know, unfortunately for that guy, it was like, boom, he wasn't, he wasn't a seasoned writer like your friend was that worked up through the ranks and didn't really understand the game. And it's like, whoop, oh, didn't get it. All right, bye, we're done with you. My Twitter follower guy. Yeah. You know, and now it's like no one talks about shit my dad says anymore. They well, just no. Done something show's else. been show last No, no, I'm talking about even oh. on Twitter. Like, oh. it's it just, it's like, oh, okay, well, then maybe there really wasn't anything there. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of tough. But you've, but saying that, you have worked enough in the business. You, you've had, you know, you've been on, on, on several shows. You've been on, you've, you've been a pretty successful commercial actor. I touched on the fact that you did get some late night stuff. You did go to Montreal. I mean, you have, I mean, do you feel like when you look back, you're like, I've, I've accomplished. Like, how do you see yourself from what you wanted to do to where you've gotten yourself? Um, you know, if I did things over again, I would do things differently because I see how people, my peers who have been very successful, really focused on their careers and to their credit. And I've kind of been sometimes had a, a dilettante attitude towards it, if that's the right word. Do you allow yourself um, to get distracted? Is that yeah, an easier way I mean, to... Yeah, I I get distracted by things like um, uh, you and I both have kids. And, right. And those, you know, take the focus away from going out and doing stand-up or, or, or you know, working on your social media or, or whatever. 
But having said that, uh, um, if I uh, thought about as 16-year-old me, I'm going to get to, to um, you, you know, do stand-up in front of crowds of, of a thousand people and <clears throat> kind of have feel like I have them in the palm of my hand. And it's so much such a, a blast. And I'm getting to do movies with all these great people and TV shows with people and and uh, um, uh, like that last Crawlapalooza um, uh, fundraising show I do um, uh, featured Maria Bamford, who to me is the most talented. She comedian. is hilarious. Her, her Got her new show. <clears throat> yeah. Our, um, uh, and uh, my take Notaro hosts it, and and these people are my friends and my peers i don't uh pretend to be nearly as talented or as hardworking as them but i actually get to um associate with them and watch them um you know do stand up and um i i get to hang out with all these amazing creative people um and still have a life as a a father and a husband and um, I have a well-rounded life and get to do these crazy things that a lot of people never do. So I wouldn't trade it. Nice. Hey, that guy's summing it up. Well he said. Knows, he, 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 you know, so, uh, real quick, a couple of things. <laughs> One, where... Uh, um, You're going to have to buy, can, do it over there. Uh, oh. I got it. I got it oh, on here. Okay. It, it happens every episode. Well, uh, our, 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 uh, our next guest is, is contacted us. Let us know he has arrived. In the unprofessional world of not having to worry about this, but a couple things, um, you 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 touched on Crawlapalooza. Um, uh, you want to give a quick? Uh, um, I'm assuming you're going to continue to do that, correct? Yes. So let's let's take a let's take a brief moment to to, to discuss the Crawlapalooza. This is this is was your third year this year. That's correct. Right. Yeah. And um, every year, this is in honor of Suzanne, obviously. My late wife. Your late yeah. wife, and and the concept behind Crawlapalooza that you do every year is. Um, it's kind of uh, twofold or threefold. I, I haven't decided which one. One, I wanted to do something to kind of honor the memory of my uh, late wife, who uh, um, was so loved and whose life touched so many people. Mine. And do something that um, uh, helped causes that she believed in. Um, two, I wanted to do something to help keep her memory alive for both for uh, everyone who loved her's sake and for my daughter's sake, because she died when my daughter was five, and I've had heard too many stories from adults who lost a parent at that age and said, I don't even remember my, my dad or my mother or whatever. And third, I wanted to do something that maybe Harper, my daughter, eventually could become involved in to help her realize it's not all about her and... We need to take care of um, other people and, and our world, um, so she wouldn't be a selfish kid. Oh, oh, God! Um, the uh, um, hi, Jamie. <laughs> I just broke the wall. Look at Jamie Charles. You're trying to get into multiple shows. You can come. You can step in. Peter's acknowledged you. There's no mic for you, but I just need a oh yeah, go through here, and then it's just right on the other side of the door there. Um, I like how I think I like how you have this 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 beautiful uh, heavy speech. You're like, hey Jamie, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Um, 
Up until this moment, people assumed this podcast was so professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this is yeah. where it so broke close. down for him. Um, well, at least he figured out the side gate thing. No one's ever yeah. figured that out, yeah. how to get into He's that. He's a um, real lab rat. So, yeah. So, um, and we, I, I, we touched on this earlier in the show to bring it all back around, which is that the year one had to do with transgender youth, correct? Yeah. yeah Sorry for it. Oh, so you do a different, every year is different. a different cause. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Very cool. Which and the reason why you, I, I remember you explained it. it makes sense when you talked about that. It's like you don't focus on one thing, kind of like not in a negative way, but your reason for doing different causes every year. Uh, well, I, I, it's kind of cool because I learn about these causes. Like this year, we helped a group that uh, supports deported veterans, and before this year, I didn't even know veterans were being deported. I right. didn't know you could volunteer for the services, do six tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan come back home, um, commit a minor offense, and get deported to Mexico for life. Uh, so the fact that that's a thing and our country does that is just amazing, amazing and outrageous. So um, uh, I think it's, it's doing different causes each year is 5% um, teach-in at mm-hmm. each, each show and uh, also... Uh, um, a way to help me and my daughter and everyone associated know about all these different groups and help bring awareness to them. Do, do you find that you are, because like I didn't know any of that either, so do you find that the people that are showing up for these events are also, like you said, it's teaching, but are they actually, like, we're, they were unaware of these things before and then they were like, what? <laughs> like, uh, y- Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, I honestly I had never yeah. heard anything. And, I, and, you know, when I put posts on Facebook for it, people who don't come to the shows are like, wow, I didn't know this was this A thing, was yeah. Wow. So. Well, I remember I, I helped Peter out with the, with the first one, which that was, you know, that was a big show. Yeah. We did it at the Wiltern Theater and it was a oh, lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, was, <clears throat> it was a lot, but, but, but learned so much from that show. I think it was still a hugely successful event, a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and, but you scaled it back. And what I like about the way that you scaled it back is you made a greater impact on the way you run the show. Because the shows are done, I'm assuming you'll try to keep it at a Largo or yeah. Largo size venue. Yeah, I love doing it at Largo because uh, the the guy who runs it, uh, Flanagan, is so easy to work with, and he's an amazing guy. And they're and Tig is always affiliated and, with this Tig, as well, yeah. and they are obviously big supporters of Tig as well. But what you and I talked about is what you've learned is what you just kind of talked about. If there's one thing about just doing the show for that day and raising the money for that day. But there is, it's like, it's, it's part of a bigger picture, which is the awareness campaign. So it's not just about that show. It's about the campaign as well. And that when you, when you put in that perspective, it, you don't have to focus on, oh, we have to have everybody here in this big room on this one night, and that's it. It can continue to, to carry over. And so it's not about the size of the venue per se anymore. It's more about the size of the message, right? Yeah, yeah. I think and, so. And yes. I kind of like that. Well, okay, <clears throat> well, can, we, can we say that for now on? Say what? It's not about the size <laughs> of the show. It's yeah, the size yeah, yeah. Because he goes, yeah, I think so. Like, so basically, <laughs> I just think I just made that up. But anyway, I, it's just the way I saw it. I mean, it just seems like it's it does. It has carryover effect. Like you said, you 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 know, you can expose it in more ways than just the event that night. Yeah. You know, you learned about something. I know now about it because of you. I didn't know about it before. Yeah, I mean, I became much more a, a better ally to transgender the transgender community as a result of that first show because I learned so much about uh, what um, this population faces 
um, and and you know what they go through and how you can better help them. Yeah, and 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 again, circling all back to be honest with you, John, like having worked with Peter on that on that specific event at the Wiltern and working with these people and understanding them. There's faces. So when I see this stuff on TV, I have a I have a perspective that if I hadn't done that with you, I wouldn't have that perspective because like you talk about half the time you don't even know. You don't know who you, th- these people sometimes when they're around you. And having worked with them and seeing what's going on, I, I have a different perspective of like this is ridiculous. You, you don't know these people, and and, and that's and it's par, a part. A lot of it is because of the fear of not knowing yeah. and the unknown. A- Ian Harvey, who hosted the first show, is a transgender comic, mm-hmm. and and he's an amazing man. And you would not know that he was transgender unless he told you, right? Um, you would just think, wow, this is a great guy. He's, um, uh, he really is. I, I don't know him well, but from the little I've associated with him, he's he's a, a great talent. He's a great actor, and he's a, a person who has an amazing heart and amazing character. But and he also happens to be transgender, but that's not what defines him. No, I, I've started saying this <clears throat> a little bit on stage <clears throat> for a, a bit that I do, or towards the end of a bit that I've been doing for a while. But all our differences are like made up they're all yeah they're all bullshit you know what i mean it's like it's like because you worship a different god i gotta be like i'm mad at that what the fuck do i care you know what i mean like it's all like we're just like oh no that they're different they're different it's like yeah but what what but they're still breathing the same air you are they still need water to survive like we're all like you know what i mean we all live on like one big planet like how how different can we possibly be how different can one human being and one person i mean we all still need the basic things. Yeah. So, I like, but the people who want to wield power over us exploit those differences. Yeah. And then, ma- and, and then, it's all based on fear. What they're doing, and it's all based on fear. Like there was, it, it's it's the attitude of people has. It's some people are just they're missing the point. Like a man choked out a seven year old girl in the bathroom of a Target from uh, kind of the area where I'm from in Illinois. Grown man went into this bathroom. Mom was taking a piss in one stall. Daughter taking a piss in the other stall. She hears these weird noises. She comes out of the stall. The man has her daughter over his shoulder and he's like taking her into another stall. She screams and freaks out. Okay, so this psychopath man, grown man came in and did this. The comment threads under the story that I saw posted were like, here we go, and you want trans people to use this different... Ba- yeah, I'm like, already, I'm like yeah. what does this... This is a crazy man who came in and was going to attack this girl no matter what. Like, this has nothing to do with transgender people being able to use the bathroom they, they associate with. This has nothing to do with that. And like you said earlier, there's been no reported cases of a trans person attacking anyone in any bathroom or having any instance or incident, and yet there are thousands upon thousands of cases of transgender people just being beaten senselessly for no reason. There are many more cases of um, senators and congressmen. Yeah, getting their dick sucked in bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Like the pe- Those are the people so you need to worry about what bathroom they're going into yeah. because it's like, hey, dude, no glory holes in Target. Like, that, like, if you want to make that law, okay, fine. Let's not be sticking our dicks through stall doors and shit like that, fine. But like, you're right. It is the, it is the people that are so anti like, oh, gay, being gay is wrong. I gotta go use the bathroom over here at the, uh, you know, the Dirty Finger or whatever bar this is. And like, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I have a voiceover job at one. Yeah, we're yeah. good. Oh, oh is go. it, th- no, this is good. So anyway, um, where where can people find you if you want to promote Peter Sprite? Um, it, uh, I don't know why they'd look, but um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I have a website. It's called okay. petersbright.com. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't updated it in two and a half years. So that should be exciting. How do you spell your last name so that if people actually want to like maybe go to YouTube, watch a video, or just find you online? It's uh, S-P-R-U-Y-T, just right. like it sounds. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Well, thanks for uh, being on the show, and man. I have 372 Twitter followers, so... Uh, oh, breaking them in, well, it looks like this show's not going to air. <laughs> breaking them in. This will go on the back burner. Yep. We we'll have, let you know when if we, we need we an emergency... We do have an emergency broadcast. We might throw this up. <laughs> Most of them are fake people that I've created so that I could follow myself. That makes sense. All right. Good luck with your audition. All right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a job. It's a real job. Oh, oh it's a real job. Yeah. So congratulations oh, on the job. Right. Look at you booking something. Well, don't get excited. Don't worry. Can I go? Yeah. Thanks for doing right. the show, thanks man. For, Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Good, good times. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 